Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of March 31st, 2022, including Sony have finally revealed their long-awaited response to Game Pass, Tango Gameworks wants to expand beyond horror games, let's discuss the new Halo TV show, and more. Welcome to episode 147 of the Xbox On podcast. Did you know that in this day in Xbox history, in the year 2005, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory was released on the OG Xbox in Germany? That's right, I got a little new thing I'm doing at the top of every show. Let me know if you like it. Okay, hey guys, welcome to another week of Xbox On. Boy, we got a whole lot of stuff to get through today. We got news, we got comments, you guys left a decent amount of comments, I thank you, I appreciate it so much, I'm very grateful for that, because now we have some bullshit to get into, but guys, first of all, we're about a week removed from the uh, release of the first episode of the Halo TV series that is on Paramount+. Plus. I, uh, I don't want to get into too many specifics, just because I, I know... Uh, a lot of our listeners, depending on where in the world they live, might not have access to Paramount Plus because it just isn't available there, and therefore the show isn't available. And there's like a whole host of issues regarding certain territories not being able to even get access to the show. And, and plus, you know, it just came out. Whatever. I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but I would like to. Uh, I thought it'd be cool to maybe just like uh, spend a couple minutes at the top of the show, going over the the Halo TV show and discussing kind of broad spoiler-free opinions and, and some impressions. Now, I, I don't know. I feel like people are pretty mixed on the show, but at the same time, I feel like you need to... A, a lot of the criticism I'm seeing, the negative criticism I'm seeing, is like people upset that they took so many liberties with the, with the story of Halo. I'm like, guys, they've been saying for years and years, like, hey, we're like doing our thing. We're like doing our version of Halo. And then even more recently, they, they announced basically like, yeah, we're not really using the games as like a strict heavily inspired like playbook for how to do this story so i thought the whole thing was like people knew this was like a different version of the halo story i don't know to me i like that that makes this easier for me to take in and digest i think i would be more critical of this show if it were supplemental to the actual story of the games and the books so to me i'm actually finding it easier to just shut my brain off and be like whatever this show is it doesn't impact the games i love it is just a different interpretation of halo so I'm able to just watch it and enjoy it for what it is. And I don't know. I got to be honest. After episode one, I was pleasantly surprised. Now, I, I will just say straight, straight off the back, my, my biggest gripe with the show is I just think some of the CG is like really, really cheesy considering this is like the biggest budget, most premier show that Paramount Plus has. And that's, you know, it's a Showtime show and all that stuff. But I don't know. Some of the CG just looks really goofy and cheap. But other than that, I mean, the sets look amazing. The costuming is amazing. The acting is good. The, the, I, the writing is ranges from like eh to like solid. You know, I, I don't know. I, I found the show to be quite enjoyable. 
a full one-hour episode, and I wasn't bored at any point, and I liked seeing familiar faces played by new people and being like, oh, wow, that's this person in live action, and oh, look at Miranda Keys. She doesn't look like a like three blocks like on the Xbox OG. Like That's kind of crazy, so I don't know. I, I quite enjoyed my time with the episode. I'm looking forward to episode two. Actually, today it should go live, so... I'll watch that, but I, I'm along for the ride. I wasn't expecting this to blow me away. In fact, I was, if anything, expecting it to be disappointing. So I, I came in pretty okay with it. I think it's a fun show so far. And uh, I'm curious to see what this independent adaptation and interpretation of Halo can be. So I don't know about y'all, but whatever. I liked it. And uh, to kind of play off that, apparently, you know, even if Xbox fans or Halo fans might be a little bit divided on it as you would assume they would be because halo fans are insufferable they're basically just star wars fans some good news regarding the show uh i guess subjectively depending on whether or not you like the show the premiere of the halo tv show was the highest or set the highest viewership record paramount plus has had to date it broke the record that was previously established by the show 1883 which is like basically the biggest series on paramount plus or at least was until halo came out so that's pretty good for them Viewing figures for streaming platforms aren't typically released, but it is noteworthy that Paramount Plus has been in the streaming top 10 provided by Nielsen, an American agency that tracks television ratings, so it's doing quite well. We know that roughly, give or take, Paramount Plus has 47 million subscribers, so you consider that this show is doing really well. It's the most watched show on the platform. You compare it to something like Netflix that has like four times as many subscribers, uh, they have like over 200 million subscribers, roughly. I mean, man, if a show like this were on a Netflix or a Disney Plus or something with more subscribers, you could only imagine like this. The show would be quite huge right now. So this is, I mean, obviously to be the highest performing show on a subscription service with 47 million subscribers, that's in and of itself pretty impressive. So I don't know. I congrats to the team working on the Halo TV show. Looks like people are digging it or at least we're interested enough to give the first episode a, a watch. I'd be interested to know how those numbers go following, you know, episodes 2 and 3 and as the series progresses, but it seems like at, at the very least there was quite a bit of interest and enthusiasm uh, as to what a Halo TV show could be. Cronky wrote in regarding the show and says, "Okay, I watched the first episode of the Halo TV show. It's pretty good. I like that it's doing its own thing and not really telling the story of the games. All in all, it's much better than I expected. It makes me kind of want to go play the game. So I think it did exactly what it was designed to do. Crunky, I yeah, I, I, that, that is exactly what it's supposed to do. Synergy, it's supposed to make you a bigger fan of Halo. Or if you're not a gamer, it's supposed to make you a fan of Halo. Or if you're a lapsed Halo fan, it's supposed to bring you back to Halo, whatever. I was already kind of going through a Halo mood right before the show came out, so it kind of lined up perfectly for me. But yeah, after I watched the episode, I was like, cool, I'm going to jump on Halo Infinite and grind my battle pass a little bit tonight. And I've been playing pretty consistently since. So yeah, I'm definitely in a little bit more of a Halo mood. I I, I would agree with what you said. Job well done on their part. They, they made more Halo and made people more interested in Halo. So who cares? We know everyone's going to have criticism over X, Y, and Z. If you guys want to have a more spoilery insider deep dive kind of conversation i'm happy to have that but i assume right just for now you know give people some time to have seen an episode or two um, because the first episode has a lot to share and there's a lot of deviations from the video game version of the story and a lot of things it's like oh wow they're gonna do that with the halo story so i just want to leave it for people to be uh surprised i guess all right, so there's that, and then uh, we got a couple of other things of mild amusement and, and sh stories and updates and things like that I want to get into before we jump into the meat and bones of this week's episode. 
Now, <laughs> this next one, I'm glad this happened today so I could write about it now or talk about it now. But uh, Jeff Strain, formerly the head of Undead Labs, of course, Xbox-owned studio behind the State of Decay series. Now, he uh, he no longer works at Undead Labs. He left a few years ago um, after a, a while, of, whatever. He, he moved to New Orleans from Seattle and uh, has basically been in the recent years left undead labs to go and found a new studio that's working on an all new game. And, uh, so Kotaku, I guess, is in the process of doing some kind of expose, depending on how nice or not nice you want to be Kotaku expose commentary piece, hit piece, whatever you want to call it, um, about undead labs and more particularly Jeff strain, uh, the founder and no longer part of this undead lab studio. And so this is really cool. So Kotaku hasn't actually published the piece yet. And now you wonder if they're even going to. But Jeff Strain basically beat them to it and went out on his uh, on his Medium blog and basically wrote out this whole article detailing what had happened, that Kotaku had reached out to him, and that there's a story that's coming, and he wanted to get ahead of the messaging. So obviously we hear this almost every week in the news now it's like this studio is toxic because of blah and this person is a piece of shit and deserves to be murdered because of that and this guy who did this thing should no longer be accepted into society and we should simultaneously promote you know embracing mental health while also trying to destroy other people's mental health and blah 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 blah. and so kotaku being the website they are we're working on another one of those kind of pieces, as you can assume. That's all Kotaku ever does. Obviously, the piece isn't out, so we can't 100% know that for certain. But anyway, they're working on a story about Undead Labs, about Jeff Strain. And so, you know, for those, I mean, who doesn't know basically how this works in games media, if you're going to write a story on a, on a, on a studio like that or about an individual, you got to do your due diligence of getting your corroborating with various sources, reaching out directly to people via email or phone or whatever, and giving them an opportunity to respond to comments or answer questions before you just go and assume answers and, and publish a piece. So someone at Kotaku reached out to Jeff Strain, who no longer works at Undead Labs, left him a bunch of questions and said, you have X amount of days to respond uh, before we publish this piece on you and Undead Labs. And so Jeff took that time and that the, those questions and use it as an opportunity to be like, you know what, fuck this. I'm going to write my own story and craft my own narrative before Kotaku just goes ahead and does like, Jeff Strain, transphobic racist at video game company from Microsoft, what? And so I really love what he did. He basically is just like, hey guys, let me explain to you. You know, I, 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 I founded multiple video game companies in my life. I've been in this industry for a long ass time. Here's what my story looks like. Here's what's happened over the past few years. And then Kotaku hit me up and asked me these questions. Obviously, they, they're trying to get specific answers out of me. So here's, you know, how I want to answer them on a platform where I can articulate myself and control my own message to the fullest of, of my of, of my heart's content. And uh, I, I love what he did. So I, I read through this and I'm not going to read it to you now because it's really it's really long and it's really not it wouldn't be entertaining for me to just sit here and go through it beat for beat. But I highly recommend and encourage those of you who are interested to go seek this out and read it. You can find it on Jeff Strain's um, Medium blog or you can find, you know, find it on his Twitter, whatever, he'll link to it. You know, I should leave a note to it in the uh, YouTube uh, link for this this video or the YouTube um, description rather. Anyway, so it's a really interesting piece. He goes on and on about all these questions that were asked and responds with the, uh, responds very in-depth and thoughtfully. And obviously, of course, this is one man getting out in front of a message about himself and trying to answer questions directed towards himself in a way that are probably favorable and defensive towards himself and his 
the people in his sphere. So obviously you might be like, well, you can't just take his perspective and word for everything. It's like, fair enough. But uh, I'd be interested to see if Kotaku even posts the article now uh, with this out here. I'd be interested to read what their perspective is, to be honest. Uh, But yeah, they asked him a variety of questions. Essentially, it stems from, you know, you left Undead Labs in 2019 and there was some confusion between you and Microsoft about whether or not you were going to stay on and help Shepard stay at K3, which is the game that Undead Labs is currently working on, and whether you're going to help Shepard that through the rest of its development, or if you were just going to basically fuck off and no longer be a part of that company. And then they try to ask him questions about like, oh, well, when Undead Labs was acquired by Microsoft, you as the owner of Undead Labs came into X amount of money. What did you do with that money? Did you give it to people in your studio or did you keep it for yourself? They go into questions about, you know, the, the usual questions we see all the time, blah, blah, blah. Here's an instance of workplace discrimination or harassment. This is how your uh, PR, sorry, this is how your HR department handled it. What do you have to say about that? Was this person adequate for the job? Are you responsible in this and that? Questions about things like people, people have said at the studio that you were kind of an absent uh, leader during those final years before you left the company. What do you have to say to that? And he gets out in front of the, uh, basically in front of the bullet on all these questions and just answers them honestly into you know, with, with at least from his perspective, um, we can only assume, of course, but very, very interesting read. I found this quite, quite compelling because what isn't interesting anymore is every fucking time we go to check the news, it's just like, oh, now this studio is under investigation. Oh, now this guy's being like, you know, dragged out into the, into the limelight to be <laughs> publicly shit on. And, you know, sometimes completely justified. We talk about Activision. We're about to talk about Activision again, actually. And then sometimes it's just like, what are we doing here? Is this is this justified? Is this not? Is this really enough information for any of us to really make any kind of educated decision on what's going on here? As we, you know, depending on where you fall on this situation, may or may not feel about what just happened with Moon Studios uh, just the other week. So I highly encourage people who are interested to go seek this out, go read about it. Barely, really interesting stuff. But uh, I, I love this. I, I, I want to see more people do stuff like this. Just get in front of the message and be like, listen, Kotaku. You serve absolutely no one. You you guys do hit pieces. You clearly hate gaming. You clearly hate gamers. You clearly hate people who make games because all you do is shit on people who play games for being toxic, shit on people who make games for being toxic, and then complain about how games aren't enough. They're not progressive enough. They're not inclusive enough. They're not all this shit that you just always see the Kotakus of the world complaining about. It's just all this just brain-damaging bullshit that they want to just soapbox about. Um, so I, I really love this and I hope, I hope this kind of starts a trend where we see more and more people kind of get out in front of these stories when they see them coming and be like, guys, this is, this is what the mob is after. This is what the Jason Schreiers of the world want to say. Um, obviously, you know, they're just trying to push their agenda of, you know, the fucking crunch culture and the unionization in the games industry. Here's what's really happening as someone who actually works in this industry. Take this information, do with it what you will. I I, want to see more of that. So congrats to Jeff for, uh, Standing up for himself and doing that, of course, like I said earlier, that's just his perspective. So if Kotaku is to publish, finalize and publish a version of this article, I do also recommend reading that just for just for having the balanced perspective of reading two sides, even if one has a, uh, you know, whatever. All right. So there's that. Next up, I want to get into something. Now, I guess this should be a new story proper and not like a, a story of mild amusement. But I feel like this next one we're about to talk about. So vastly overblown, and I'm I'm already sick and tired of seeing people talk about it because I just don't think there's that much to say. I feel like again, people are just making a big deal out of nothing. But earlier this week, Rockstar announced a new subscription service for Grand Theft Auto Online. 
um, only for next-gen consoles. The Xbox Series X and PS5 version of the game just recently released, and this new subscription service is strictly for those platforms. Um, it's coming out, actually it's out now at the time of this recording. It's a $6 a month subscription service, and it gives subscribers a range of benefits. It gives them monthly in-game credit, it gives them like real estate on Grand Theft Auto Online, and all these different cosmetics and accessories and discounts and bonuses, and just bullshit. Stuff that if you're really deeply invested in the game might matter to you, but from an outsider looking in, it just seems like a bunch of junk, you know, that kind of thing. And it also helps you get, I guess, shark cards, which I assume are some kind of like microtransaction thing within the game. But a lot of people were completely up in arms, just super pissed about this. I got to say, I think this is much to do about nothing. It, what do you expect? We, we've, we've seen the reports. We know clearly Rockstar are hard at work on the next game, you know, probably the next GTA, which is probably more games as a service focus than single player focus, as was previously the case with Grand Theft Auto. Um, they will probably continue to make other games whether it be a Red Dead Redemption 3 or something of that ilk, we will continue to see Rockstar make games. And we know they're currently working on a new game, but people choose to be all up in arms, pissed off about this. Listen, Grand Theft Auto Online is a platform that has been around since before any of us were born at this point. You know, it clearly has a massive dedicated following online. And you go onto the Twitters of the world or the IGN comment comments boards and youtube comments and shit and you would think that everyone in the world has moved on from grand theft auto 5 and no one's playing it anymore and it doesn't matter and we just want you to make grand theft auto 6 what the fuck are you doing rockstar but that's clearly not the case we continue to see grand theft auto top at the sales chart consistently chart on mpd almost every month ever since it came out in 2013 if you are take two and rockstar you have every logical and justifiable reason to continue to support and cater to this audience because even if the hardcore heart the most hardcore of the hardcore audience general gaming audience don't want more grand theft auto 5 they want grand theft auto 6 and even if you know games media people can't look at this and just be like oh well i understand exactly what they're doing whatever like that's not what this is about that's not who this is for this is clearly for those people who have been deeply entrenched in the grand theft auto online community for a very long ass time who were dumb enough to go from Xbox 360 to Xbox One to Xbox Series X and play every iteration of Grand Theft Auto V along the way. This is for those people. This is their game. This is their thing. This is their platform. You know, we talk about there are people who play Call of Duty every single year, and that's their game. There are people who play Madden every year, and that's their game. There are some people out there who, who like, just play Grand Theft Auto. Like, that's their fucking thing. Think of it like an MMORPG. That's their thing. I think clearly when Grand Theft Auto V launched... And shortly afterwards, because remember, GTA Online wasn't there until months after launch. I think Rockstar and Take-Two had literally no concept of how big this online offering was going to be. And over the years, it has been them reacting to the legs that this game has, that this platform has. If they could have known this from the start, there would have been a subscription service a long time ago. They could have known this shit from the start. They could have focused development more into the online aspect of the game than the single player aspect a long ass time ago. The thing is, this wasn't supposed to be one of the biggest games as a service games of all time, but it ended up being that way. So you can't, you know, you can't knock them for being like, yeah, we're going to continue to add content to and try and monetize this platform that just has shown this propensity to keep making money. So you think about it like we're kind of at the end of the road with Grand Theft Auto V, right? We know they're working on a GTA 6 or the next Grand Theft Auto, whatever the fuck it is they're working on. And that mean, and the new consoles have just come out in the past year or so. 
So you know that means we've reached the end of the road. You're not going to be able to release the Grand Theft Auto V PlayStation 6 port in seven years or the Grand Theft Auto V Xbox Series Z port or whatever in five or seven years. You're not going to be able to do that because hopefully by that point, we're on GTA 6. But in the meantime, they want to find a way to continue to monetize this platform knowing that it's kind of hit the end of the road with how many platforms you can put it on. And so this is a way to get a steady revenue stream from the Grand Theft Auto series while they continue to now invest their efforts in GTA 6 development. And you don't want to like it. I'm not saying I like it. I don't think it's a really awesome deal. Maybe there are people out there who play Grand Theft Auto who think this is a great deal. But like, I just feel like this is much to do about nothing. The majority of people complaining about this are not playing Grand Theft Auto online. So they're just complaining for the sake of complaining. And then the people, and then it seems like it's such an inoffensive subscription service anyway that if you are a GTA online player and you don't like this you don't have to get it and it really will not affect your experience at all and if you are a GTA online player like a habitual player it sounds like this is probably worth your fucking investment this is probably worth your six dollars a month because if you god knows if you've been playing Grand Theft Auto online regularly since 2013 then yeah maybe Rockstar's earned six bucks a month from you because god knows they've already earned apparently like hundreds of hours of your life. So I, I just I just don't see all the, the hubbub about this one. I just think it's much to do about nothing, but maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just oversimplifying the situation here. Um, you guys let me know what you think about it. I just personally with this one, I, I really don't give a shit. Uh, next up, let's do our weekly update. Speaking of Activision, our weekly update on the Activision lawsuit and everything where we're at with that. I'm, I'm really not even going to dig into this uh, because I think we're all just so tired of this shit at this point. But pretty big update, substantial update. Federal court judge has approved the Activision Blizzard $18 million settlement for its sexual harassment lawsuit that was filed uh, by the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission last year. So good for them. They're settling out of court. Hush, hush. Here's $18 million. Make the problems go away. Um, additionally... Microsoft, let's pull Microsoft into the Activision shit since they decided to get involved with them. Microsoft has been asked by a group of Activision Blizzard employees whether or not they will object to internal unionization efforts, specifically from COD developer Raven Software. Now, you guys might remember the whole fiasco that happened with COD uh, or with Raven Software late last year with QA testers being laid off despite the game being absurdly profitable. So let's real real quick, we'll recap it. According to Axios, in response to an open letter, the company has said that it will not object, the company being Xbox, will not object to the union efforts which have largely gained momentum in the wake of the ongoing Blizzard and Activision scandals. In the letter which has been shared with Axios, workers asked CEO Satya Nadella whether Microsoft has a- authorized Activision to rule on the recognition of the union. Raven workers also accuse Activision of using union-busting tactics to prevent their action and to call on Microsoft to stop the campaign that is being waged against us, quote-unquote. Responding to the letter, Microsoft's spokesperson told Axios, Microsoft will not stand in the way of Activision Blizzard recognizing a union. Microsoft respects Activision Blizzard's employees' rights to choose whether to be represented by a labor organization, and we will honor those decisions. End quote. Axios noted that the statement did not clarify what stage of the discussions were currently at. As a reminder, back in February, Activision Vice President QA Christian Ahrens uh, sent a message to staff in an attempt to dissuade them from joining a union. And then prior to that, in January, a 34-strong group called Game Workers Alliance officially asked uh, parent company Activision Blizzard to recognize the union, which has been the first ever major attempt in all of North America to 
uh, unionize a game development studio. I love that they're called the Game Workers Alliance. It just sounds like some fucking like military militia for gamers. Uh, and then where this all stems from, back in November, Activision informed 12 QA workers at Raven that their contracts would be terminated on January 28th. The layoffs will reduce Raven's QA team of 40 staff, which mainly works on Call of Duty Warzone, by just over 30%, according to protesters who had been on strike for nearly two months over the whole fiasco. It is, <laughs> it is claimed that the affected staff were let go in good standing, meaning that they hadn't underperformed or committed any uh, sackable offenses, but rather that the dismissals were announced at a time where Warzone was earning $5.2 million a day, meaning basically Activision were just being cheap assholes who were cutting costs, cutting corners and cutting costs wherever they could because money. Hey, there we go. I, I feel like this is one of those instances, you know, I won't say much on it, but I feel like this is one of those instances where, yes, Activision being bought by Microsoft is potentially good for developers because much of the way you see uh, Microsoft handle their relationship with all their own, own studios is usually more of a manner of like, let them fuck off and do their own thing. So I feel like, you know, Microsoft has so much fuck you money and we can't even properly manage our teams kind of attitude that they'd be like, sure, Raven, go, go in a uh, unionize. We don't, we don't even basically know whether or not we own you because we're just too busy not knowing how to manage a hundred thousand studios. So maybe that could be something good for them. If that is something they so choose to, um, to do if they, Hey, if they want to unionize by all means, good for them. Let them do it. Uh, okay. Another update. Here's a little bit of positivity. A series of leaked modes discovered last week suggests that Fortnite could permanently be introducing a no-build mode. And then shortly after that leak and rumor began, Epic confirmed that that is indeed now the case. So Fortnite is going to have a no-build mode permanently going forward, which means Fortnite is probably a fun game now. Can't really talk shit on it. So let's just do a Fortnite dance into the final story. Actually, not really appropriate for this last one, guys. Before we get into the comments and the rest of the show... Uh, I did just want to make a quick mention about Muhammad Fami. Just pay my respects and, and, and provide condolences. Uh, Muhammad Fami, who's been called one of the brightest stars of the independent games development, has passed away this past week at the age of 32. Fami was best known as a creator of visual novel Coffee Talk and had most recently been working on an upcoming game, After Love EP. So... I, I played the demo for Coffee Talk. I think that's a game I would enjoy if I just forced myself to sit down and play the proper release. Um, but I, I enjoyed my time with the demo. I think it's a very it's a very nice like Zen game to just chill out and kind of get cozy with and uh, try to like get yourself in the in the role play aspect of a, of like a visual novel game. Um, I, I I quite enjoyed it. Obviously, just want to give my deep condolences to Fami's family and friends. Uh, obviously, it's really really sad, and I just want to make an effort every time we can on this podcast um, to pay respects to those who make video games and contribute to this industry because at the end of the day, you know, it's people like Muhammad who make gaming matter and make gaming something that we can all enjoy and appreciate. And uh, any anytime someone like that is lost, obviously it leaves a huge hole in, in, in loved ones and families' hearts and also, you know, takes take something away from our industry. We, you know, we talk all the time about, those dirty PlayStation gamers and, 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 and all the shit happening with companies like Activision. But at the end of the day, you know, video games are an art form that we all love and enjoy and they mean a lot to us. And these are all labors of love created by people. So I just want to pay, pay my respects to those who unfortunately no longer get to be a part of this, but fortunately got to leave a really big and awesome mark on this industry. We all love. So rest in peace, Muhammad, wherever you, wherever the hell it is, they, uh, you go after you die. But, um, with that somber, 
cap to our opening at a, a complete done with a nice little bow on it. Guys, I want to talk about some comments this week. Now, you may know the past few weeks the comments have been a little dry, a little slim. But this week, we get, we're back to our juicy comment selves. That's right. We got write-ins from the likes of Jimmy Dean, G- John Stamos, George Hard R. Martin, and, and, and many more. So I'm very excited to get into these comments with you all today. Now, our first one comes from, oh, I, sh- I should say, you know how it works. You go on over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on podcast. You click on the latest episode. You're going to leave yourself a comment there. On the latest episode, that's the only way to do it. If you leave it on an old episode, you're an idiot. I'm not going to read it, and your mom's probably going to call you and disown you. So leave a comment on the latest episode. Say something really nice to me like, Jesse, I know you've been making a huge effort lately to drink like at least eight cups of water a day. Don't think I haven't noticed. Your pee has been a lot clearer. This is really good. Keep up the good work. No kidney stones for you in your future. I'm really proud of you, my brother. Keep up the good work. Or, or you could say something totally mean like, Jesse, here you are talking about Mountain Dew all the time, how much you love Mountain Dew this, Mountain Dew that. But yet you're what, drinking eight cups of water a day like some kind of fucking plebeian? Listen, man, if your pee isn't the color of Mountain Dew, it means you're a fake Dew fan. So do do me a favor and uh, and destroy your Mountain Dew collection. Take the Mountain Dew stickers off of your uh, skateboard that you don't own. And uh, tell all your friends and family that you're going straight edge and that you're, you're from here on out no longer drinking that hard Mountain Dew. So, guys, I... Thank you for catching me in my hypocrisy, but uh, that's a mean comment because it hurts my feelings. It makes me feel like a, like a total hack. Nonetheless, our first comment this week comes from Andy Crawley, who chose to write in and say something nice and says, Hey, Jesse, I just can't say anything salty. You help me get through the tough times at work and in life in general. One day I'd love to thank you in person. This Canuck truly is grateful for all your, all your hard work and satire. Keep it up. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate the kind words. Yes, I, even though you're Canadian, I'd love to give you... Uh, a pat on the back and uh, and a hard Mountain Dew and maybe uh, do a round of bowling with you. Do Canadians do bowling? I love bowling. Uh, thank thank. But it's all seriousness, thank you for the the kindness. I appreciate it, my man. Next up, before we can really start talking about what's going on with the world of Xbox and gaming this week, I think there's a couple food related topics we get we just got to knock out. We got to talk about some fried chicken and chicken wing related questions, which is kind of blowing my mind that we haven't talked about chicken wings that much on the show in the past, but Objects in Space writes in and says, I've been really into southern fried chicken for a while now. I've tried a few different fast food restaurants to compare what they all have to offer. Oh, you said on offer. I noticed a lot of you foreigners don't say have to offer, you say have on offer. What is this, a bar? Anyway, when it comes down to taste, crunch, sauce, thickness, etc., Carl's Jr. really stood out to me with their hand-breaded chicken goodness. I don't know if you have those in the U.S., but I think it takes the top spot. What's your favorite? Also, I found a Popeye's recipe online to make at home. We don't have Popeye's here in Australia. And to my surprise, it turned out really well. Well, objects in space. First of all, thank you for writing in again. Nice to hear from you. Now, a couple things. One, I'm deeply sorry to hear that you don't have access to Popeye's in Australia. That, I think, is a crime against humanity in and of itself. And even though I hear Australia is a beautiful, beautiful country, wonderful country to live in, I think you need to do yourself a favor and pack it up and move it to somewhere that does have Popeyes because Popeyes is is good enough to justify moving to uh, to a place that has has a location and I, and I say that as someone who hasn't had Popeyes in over a year that's how much I love Popeyes is that I'm willing to make you move away from Australia to have closer access to it even though I almost never even eat there but I do love Popeyes and I am sorry to hear that you don't have access to it but I am I am uh, astonished and impressed by your 
creativity and your can-do attitude and your your willingness to find a solution to this problem. Don't have access to Popeyes? Easy. I'll make Popeyes at home. And you did it, and you said it was good. So I'm going to assume that you're 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 like a Gordon Ramsay tier chef, and that it turned out immaculate, and that it was delicious, and that your next door neighbors could smell it from down the road, and then they like floated like Disney cartoon floated, uh, and followed the scent with their nose all the way to your doorstep, where you gave them a bite, and now you got all the bitches at your doorstep constantly like, oh my god, you got any more of that Popeye's chicken objects in space? And you're like, whoa whoa whoa, calm down, I'm running out of breading, you goddamn hose. And so that's really good for you. But as for um. I mean, Southern fried chicken, fried chicken in general is is a, is a gift from God. So, yeah, I'm glad to see you've been enjoying um, fried chicken. Now, of course, we do have Carl's Jr. here. Um, I guess for those who don't know, the way Carl's Jr. works in the U.S. is it is the same restaurant, but depending on whether or not you live on the East Coast United States or the West Coast, it goes by a different name. So if you live out in California with all the hippies and the, and, and, and the Tesla drivers, um, you get Carl's Jr., if you live over on the East Coast with all the uh, alligators and Disney Worlds and New Yorks and subway train cars with rats on them, you get Hardee's. The exact same restaurant. They used to be different restaurants many, many years ago, way before I was ever even born. But at one point in history, they uh, made they made love together and became one company because that's what American businesses do. They all just buy each other out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I guess just for because depending on different markets – brand recognition they decided to just keep the names separate even though they are one company operating in the same country with the exact same food menu but yes i've had hardy's what they call it over here um a handful of times now i, I gotta be mm, i don't want to insult you so let me be clear about this i think hardy's is not good at all but you live in australia and i've seen it be the case many many times before where restaurants that are bad in america for some reason put a lot of effort and quality into making their food really good in other countries. So even though Hardee's slash Carl's Jr. is kind of garbage here in the U.S., it is very likely that in Australia it's very good because, like I just said, this this happens all the time. I Like, dude, if I had a... You, you watch the videos of people eating like McDonald's and Burger King in like Japan and fucking all like the Philippines and, and just Korea and like particularly the Asian markets. But dude, even in Europe, you see like you see like a McDonald's in Germany and shit. And it's just like, what the hell? They care so much more about the quality. The ideas for all the limited time menu items are so much more uh, thoughtful and unique and, and not just like, hey, we put flame and hot Cheetos in a Ziploc bag and fuck you. You're going to eat it. Um, so it's a. Uh, it's very possible that that's the case, but no, over here, Carl's Jr., not so good. But fried chicken, beautiful. Popeyes, gotta have it. Chick fil A, everyone loves it. I'm I'm not as high on Chick fil A, but I do recognize that it is very good for fast food chicken. I will say, um, what was the one we had? Jollibee the other week that was very good fried chicken for a fast food restaurant. What's the other? What's the other one that I'm always saying? It's, it's good fried chicken, good shit. I don't know. I, I'm out of I'm out of answers. But yes, Popeyes is king when it comes to fast food, fried chicken. Stay away from KFC. Although I know you have KFC over in Australia, and again, probably higher quality over there. So uh, thank you for writing in. Objects in space. Josiah Cronky writes in, piggybacking off that, doubling down on the chicken talk, and says, "What are your favorite flavors? Flavor of wings? What's your favorite flavor of wings? I've been trying a lot of different wing restaurants lately to find the best one. Give me a recommendation." Well, Cronky, well. Cronky still lives back home where I'm from in Atlanta and Georgia. My favorite wings back home 
were um, Pepperoni's Tavern. I love their buffalo wings, but you got to get m- at least medium. You cannot do mild. You have to do at least medium hot, preferably if you if you're good with hot, like because they're genuinely hot wings. Because their their mild sauce is disgusting. It's too buttery and flavorless. You gotta do medium or hot. But buffalo wings from Pepperoni's Tavern, that's the shit. What three dollar cafe? There's one in. I know there's one in Alpharetta. You can try. They have pretty decent wings and they're really cheap. I'm trying to think like where do I love wings? My favorite wings aren't even available anymore. My favorite wings were the wings at Splitsville here at Disney World, and they they stopped selling them like two years ago. So I don't even I don't even do wings anymore. I fucking hate wings now because I can't get the ones I like. I, I don't know where the best wings are, but the best flavor wing is always going to be classic hot buffalo sauce. Extra crispy if you can do it. Lemon pepper is a great alternative, but and garlic parm is good. I really don't care for any of the barbecue variants that you can do with chicken wings. I think those are always disappointing. But just your classic hot buffalo wings. Ranch or blue cheese, honestly. I've, I've, I've had times in my life where I've said ranch over blue cheese or blue cheese over ranch. But at this point in my life, I'm on team. They're both good. Give me one or the other. I don't care. They're both good. But uh, yeah, cr- extra crispy buffalo hot wings with ranch or blue cheese. Fuck you. Have a great time. Stay away from buffalo wild wings because that shit will give you diarrhea. Next up, let's let's get back to the video game talk. Game Pass numbers continue. So Cronky had a second comment. I split up. He says this is regarding the talk last week about those Game Pass numbers and trying to read into that and what that means. Cronky says... I think Game Pass players playing more games and spending more money is obvious. What what is important is comparing how much of how much those gamers played and spent before after and after joining Game Pass. So I actually think them talking about that is pretty cool. And they don't get into specific numbers for the same reason I al- I also wish Halo Infinite never had its numbers released to begin with. Nothing good can come out of it. It can only lead to bad things. Most likely, people would just hate on Xbox and say the numbers are too low and it's not sustainable or the platform is dying or whatever if they talked about the numbers. Kronky, you're absolutely right about that. Because, yes, because if someone can point to a way in which someone else has better numbers that are somewhat related to a similar thing... They're going to just be like, oh, Xbox sucks because their numbers are bad. You're right. But that's exactly why Xbox doesn't talk about their numbers, because their numbers are weaker than the competition. That's why they don't tell you how many copies Halo Infinite sold. That's why they don't tell you how many Xbox Series X and S's they've sold compared to PlayStation 5, because they don't want you to know they're getting their asses kicked by comparison to the competition. And I I don't know. I I, I get it. You need to control the messaging. You don't want the negativity surrounding your brand. But it would just be cool to see them be like, nah, fuck you. We're going to be transparent and talk about the numbers. But what, whatever. I, I always I, I like numbers. As someone who's not mathematically inclined, I actually really enjoy numbers um, and comparing those kinds of things when looking at companies and businesses. So for my sake, I just find it less fun that we don't get access to that. But good point. Fair point. Now, update on last week's conversation that Mr. Miggy posed to the audience about best fast food breakfast out there. Mr. Miggy says... Taco Bell used to be my favorite breakfast in uh, the fast food realm, but it's better whenever I made it because I know how to customize it. Recently, I've been having a lot of Wendy's breakfast. Love the breakfast baconator combo with the seasoned potatoes and frosty chino. Frosty chino is pretty good. The whole month, the app has offered half-off breakfast combos, so I've had it too many times this month, LOL. Also, Hogwarts Legacy looks really good. I'm not a Harry Potter fan, but the game looks interesting. Miss and Miggy, hold that thought. We'll get back to Harry Potter, but listen, man. Shout out to Wendy's. I give Wendy's a lot of shit because I generally don't like them, but their breakfast is damn good. Now, I, I disagree with you on the potato fries. They do those like those whatever potato wedge home fry things, and I, I think they're meh. They're just whatever. 
But the Frosty Chino and pretty much all those breakfast sandwiches are very good. So we'll give you that. Shout out to Wendy's Breakfast. Fuck you, Taco Bell Breakfast. You are overpriced as hell, and there aren't enough of you to, for me to ever get around to you at 6 in the morning. So go fuck yourself. But come lunchtime, you know I love you back. Thank you for alluding to our next comment here, Mr. Mickey, because Hogwarts Legacy is, about, is what we're about to bring up. Because speaking of Harry Potter, Michael used writes in and says, Thank you for saying J.K. Rowling shouldn't be an issue when considering buying Hogwarts Legacy or not. Who gives a fuck what she said? It's her opinion. I'm going to buy the game because I love the world of Harry Potter, and I've been waiting for a game like this to come since I was a kid. I wear my man diaper proudly. Yeah, more or less, Michael, yeah. Now, I just want to be clear, because even though I agree with what you're saying, I do I do want to be clear, uh, clear about something I was trying to say last week. I, I don't take issue with journalists and like these, these like activist journalists, games journalists, and, and, and these more like socially minded, whatever, like progressive gamer personalities and shit on the internet. I don't have a problem with those people having an issue with J.K. Rowling. I think it's your business, how you feel about the things J.K. Rowling has done and said. Um, I, I've tried and I, I, I struggle with trying to fully understand that situation and really where I fall on any of it because I, I guess I'm too tiny brain to really understand what's going on in that space. So I'm not to sound like a cop out, but I, I genuinely just like stay out of the J.K. Rowling shit because I'm whatever. But I, exactly. I, I don't think it's wrong for people to have an opinion or be upset with J.K. Rowling or, or any of that stuff. But I think people need to understand that that has nothing to do with the game. The game's being made by Avalanche Software, a team that is that up until this point had literally nothing to do with the world of Harry Potter. It is being published by WB, a, 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 a publisher that just has a working relationship with the Harry Potter IP through movies and video games over the years. Again, no, no nothing to do with J.K. Rowling really in, in that regard. And then this is literally a game by Harry Potter fans for Harry Potter fans to celebrate not a person who created Harry Potter, but rather a world that's already been created that people are already invested in and emotionally attached to and have already taken and made their own. And this is them just saying, hey, we want to add to this thing we all love and make something great for you guys. I, I don't know. I feel like it just, uh, there's just too much hypocrisy in this. It's like all the, like kind of funny, literally said that they aren't going to cover Hogwarts Legacy, period. They're not going to review it when it comes out. They're not going to talk about it when it comes up in the news or anything like that. And it's like, Listen, if you guys feel that way, fine. That's your it's your platform, it's your decision how you want to handle that. That's up to you. But it's like how can you be so upset over Hogwarts Legacy and JK Rowling considering she's not even really involved with the project at all? But like you look at like um SNK being like basically bought out by the Saudi prince who like I don't know, Saudi Arabia is like genociding the fuck out of Yemen. Like do we care about that? No? Okay. Uh, okay, so let's talk about um, Tencent and how they're just buying up everything in the video games industry, and they have heavy ties to the Chinese Communist Party, and and a lot of members of Tencent and, and stakeholders and people invested and involved with Tencent are proponents and supporters of a government that oppresses and uh, oppresses freedom of speech and and puts weaker Muslims in concentration camps and 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 uses slave utilizes slave labor and and does all this horrific evil shit and tries to denounce and, and erase and uh, discredit the existence of nations like Taiwan. It's like, this is bad shit, but you know, you don't see, you don't see kind of funny and these other games journalists just denouncing Tencent 
and all the games that they've put money into and all the publishers that they backed and funded over the years. Nope. But uh, a company that's not affiliated with J.K. Rowling making a Harry Potter-related game, well, that's where we draw the line. And to me, that's just silly. So it's like, dude, if you if you like Harry Potter, if you're looking forward to a good Harry Potter game, don't think about J.K. Rowling. Don't don't make this about her. This is not about her. Make this about you and, and Avalanche and Harry Potter fans because that's what this should be about. <laughs> but anyway... That's that's too much to say about something we don't really need to talk about. Anyway, let's round out, get to the end of the comments here. We got three more. First two are about Elden Ring. I know we all love Elden Ring. It's such a good game. I love it when my knight pulls his sword from the stone and says, Arr, it is I, Elden Ring. And Dead Captain James wants to write in about that very thing. He says, update on my time with Elden Ring. I'm now about 137 hours into the game, and I still am loving it. Definitely my game of the year, hands down. Maybe even my favorite game of all time. Makes me feel like a kid again. The sense of awe and wonder as I, I felt as I played Ocarina of Time is the same I get from this game. The world building, the discoveries, the challenges, playing co-op with the boys. I've been chasing the feeling for a long time, and I'm glad a game finally brought me back to it. Dead Captain James, that as someone who has an increasing uh, loss and in interest in Elden Ring altogether, that makes me so happy to hear, because again, it just... I don't know. It's um, listen, it, it's got to be fair, right? This this whole thing's got to be a two way street. I know, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm the only one who has access to the mic when we do the Xbox on podcast. But listen, if you guys got to listen to me, be like, guys, everyone's wrong. Crossfire X is not a two out of ten. It's actually an eight out of ten. It's really good. You got to believe me. If you guys got to listen to me do that for weeks and weeks on end, then it's only fair that I have to listen to you guys in return. Be like, oh, li- that Elden Ring man. 137 hours in, I'm still not bored. So I, I'm just glad that people are finding games that resonate with them and enjoying them and having a good time. So I think that's all that matters. Any game you can find that you can put 137 hours of your life into in one month is a, is, is a very memorable and lovable game. So I, I know how special that feeling is to find a game like that. Those games are very, very hard to find. They're very fleeting, and they usually end up being assigned to nostalgic experiences from childhood. So it's really important to hold on, celebrate, and acknowledge and, and cherish an experience like that when you can find it. Because otherwise, you just end up like me, who's like, yeah, that new Halo game is good, but uh, what about Left 4 Dead 1 and Sonic Unleashed and Left 4 Dead, and uh, I already said that, and Call of Duty World at War and Guitar Hero, and you guys are just like, oh my god, this guy never shuts up about 2007. Someone fucking put him under already. God damn it. So it's only fair. I'm, I'm just glad to see people enjoying what they love and uh, finding... Finding excitement in new games, especially because gaming is just more saturated than ever before. So it can be it can be hard to 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 maintain an awe and an excitement for gaming the way we all once did when we were you know when we were all kids and we didn't have disposable income to go buy whatever we wanted and shit like that. You know when when we had to wait for birthdays and wait for Christmases and hope hope and pray that mom and dad got you whatever the fucking game was right. And, and now as adults, it's just like there's 800 games coming out every fucking hour and you have the, the disposable income to buy them. But what you don't have is the free time to play them or the energy and attention and brain power to focus on any of this shit because it's just inundated with so much all the time. So to be able to find something like Elden Ring where you can kind of slow down time for a second, shove the other stuff out in your periphery out of focus and just be able to like celebrate something that you're really feeling for a moment. I, I know how special that can be, and I, I, I think that's that's cool. Compassionate Choice LLC, not to make you look bad, buddy, but 
Not a great, not necessarily a great follow-up. Uh, you say, what's up, all? You better play Shadow Warrior 2 before it leaves Game Pass. Definitely good co-oper. Well, let me, let me stop there for a second. I've dabbled in Shadow Warrior 2. I, the only reason I haven't played it through to completion is because I've never beat the first one. I've started the first one like four different times. I can never beat that game. I don't know what it is because I really like Shadow Warrior, but I always just get bored after like two hours with it. And so I played a little bit of Shadow Warrior 2. I'm like, this game is like a huge step up from the first game, but I can't play it because I need to beat the first one first. So I even recently went back like a month ago and tried to play the first Shadow Warrior, and I just I couldn't do it. But to be honest with you, Compassionate Choice, I, I am certain that Shadow Warrior 2 is great, but I will not get around to it before it leaves Game Pass because I'm very preoccupied with a few other games at the moment. But you also said, chill with that Elden Ring, Dead Captain James. Go play some other games, seriously. People don't acknowledge the flaws the game has despite being very strong in some regards. Compassion choice. It might just be the way I'm reading this, but don't be bully. But no, I uh, listen. I'm, I, I, I honestly, I'm sure I'd probably be in a similar boat uh, with in terms of like feeling frustration towards the excitement on that game if I had played it because I mean that's why I haven't bought the game and played it yet is because I know I'm going to play it and be like, oh, this game is just not that special. What is what is the magic? It's it's clearly not a game for me. So. That's why I'm waiting for it to be on sale before I invest in it. But be nice. Don't pull other people into it. Let people enjoy what they're enjoying. Compassionate choice. And also, go play Shadow Warriors 3 because it's uh, it's already out. Oh, and compassionate choice. Have a God-blessed day. Day, Captain James. God-blessed day. Michael used. God-blessed day. Mr. Miggy. Cronky. Objects in space. Andy. All of you guys. Have a God-blessed day. Except for our final inquiry. Comes from none other than Mr. Way of the Lao, who's going to twist our brains with a goddamn po- a, a, a quandary for us. Okay, got to wonder. Way of the Lao writes in and says, hello, Mr. DeRosa. And you even capitalized my name right. You, you put the capital R in the middle of DeRosa. Impressive. Impressive, Mr. Way of the Lao. Anyway, hello, my favorite podcaster. How you doing? Cronky, best wishes to you as well. Hey, quick question. I recently become a f- owner of a cat. How do you deal with all the freaking hair? I see your social media pics, and I don't see hair on your clothes. The freaking hair is everywhere, man. Everywhere. Okay, first off, I'd like to ask anyone's opinion on the use of HDMI 2.1 cables in regards to the Xbox Series X. Do the people who have Xbox Series Xs out there have a TV that supports HDMI 2.1? And if so, do you have the certified HDMI 2.1 cord? Does it make a difference in the picture? Second, I had much time to play video games due to the fact that when I get time, I just want to walk. Sorry. Second, I haven't had much time to play video games due to the fact that when I get time, I just want to watch TV and sleep. Does anyone else here feel my pain? Okay. Wait a lot. This is three things. So let's, let's attack them in order. Okay. First things first, you're now a cat parent. Wait a lot. Congratulations to cat parenthood. I'm very proud of you. Very happy for you. As for the hair, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, my understanding is just like dogs, some cats just shed more than others. My cat has shorter hair, so I don't really know what to tell you. She de- she definitely sheds a little bit. But one, my girlfriend brushes her frequently, so I think that helps. And two, when she does shed, there's not much of it. I, I definitely find her hairs every now and then. There will be times I'll just like brush my shoulder or something and find a cat hair. And there are times I'll, I'm just like grabbing my toothbrush and oh look, there's a cat hair on my toothbrush for some reason. How'd that get there? So don't don't be fooled by the amazing photographs provided by the Surface Duo Two. Um, my cat's hair does get places, but yes, it is not like cat hair galore in my apartment. Thank God. Um, I'm already allergic enough to cats that that would probably only make it worse. 
Um, so I, it may just be the, you know, the thickness of your cat's hair. Um, but honestly, just, just get in the habit of, of brushing your cat, you know, regularly. It should take care of 99% of the problem. Um, that is my bad parenting advice from someone who only has one kid. Second, let's, let's talk about your HDMI thing. Okay. I could be wrong about this. If you asked me this when the Xbox Series X first came out, I would know how to answer this. But now with all the time that's gone by, I, I my memory is fuzzy. I probably should have done a little research before I started recording, but whatever. My understanding is that Xbox Series X, the whole point of HDMI 2.1 uh, compatible TVs is that that extra capability or output or whatever allows for those compatible TVs to do 4K and 120 hertz at the same time. For example, my TV, which I bought a few months before the Series X came out, can do 4K, it can do 120 hertz. It cannot do both at the same time. So when I play my Xbox, generally I keep it at 4K 60, but occasionally, like sometimes if I'm in like a big Call of Duty mood and Call of Duty is like the only game I've been playing lately, I'll switch it over to 1080p um, 120 hertz, just so I can, um, just so I can get that smoother refresh rate for something like COD, which is usually you know just a little more twitchy and a little frame Terry without it, so that the 120 helps. But I, I had to make that concession because my TV is not HDMI 2.1. So to my understanding, HDMI 2.1 would allow you to do 4K and 120 hertz at the same time. Now, if you have a TV that's capable of that, all you need uh, between your Series X and your TV is an HDMI 2.1 cord. I can't remember, this is the part where I'm really embarrassed, I cannot remember for the life of me if the cable that is included with the Series X is an HDMI 2.1 cable. I want to say yes, it is, because I know Xbox and PlayStation were both like touting this this being a thing when their consoles came out, so it would be really stupid for them to brag about this and then not include that kind of cable with the console. Um, but you, you'll you have to double-check me on that, do your internet research. Um, but yeah, if, you're, if your TV is HDMI 2.1 compatible, um, your Xbox Series X already is, but that way it's just going to allow you to do um, to just do uh, 120 hertz. So you have really high quality resolution and really smooth, fast refresh rate. Um, that's that's basically the benefit. But yeah, HDMI 2.1 capable TVs are relatively expensive, so that's they're not all too common just yet. Now, finally, man, I I, I don't I guess does anybody feel your pain about the being too tired to play games? Yeah, man, this is a uh, this is the plight of growing up, man. Like you, uh, you spend your entire childhood just like, man. One of these days, I'm gonna work really hard to live in my own home and have my own job, so I can have my own money and I can decorate my home just the way I want, so I can have my epic gamer LEDs all over the room and I can have my big TV and my Xbox front and center. And mom can't tell me to go put my Guitar Hero guitars away because they're taking up too much space in the living room. It's the dream, right? You spend all your childhood just dreaming for the day you have, the disposable income to buy the toys you want, and the the ability to just customize your space and make it uniquely yours. And then you get there, and you're like, fuck, between commuting, waking up for work, working a full day of work, getting home and having to do adult things like change my underwear and shower. You're just like way too exhausted to do any... And this is the thing, like, I, I know... You guys will understand this because you play video games, but I know to people who don't play video games, this sounds fucking insane, but it is true, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. It just is a thing. Playing video games is way too active, way too involved, takes way too much brain activity and effort compared to, like, watching YouTube. Oh, YouTube is just... 
and there's a hierarchy with TV. There's like movie is a little too much high input, TV less input, something like Netflix, Hulu less input, and then there's like watching YouTube, and YouTube is just the slimiest, lowest barrier to entry, just easy one to do. You know what I mean? Where it's like you can play a video game, but you need a lot of energy to play a video game after work. Okay, you can watch a movie, but you need a decent amount of energy to stay focused on the plot. Oh, but you can put on some stupid-ass YouTube video, with which is like 45 minutes of some guy unboxing and playing with Orbeez, trying to fill up a goddamn Walmart swimming pool full of Orbeez for 45 minutes, and your brain will just be like, oh, yeah, this is good shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad I worked 12 hours today so I could come home and watch some fucking punk ass in California with 7 million subscribers fill a swimming pool with Orbeez and, and, and lukewarm water, whatever the fuck it is he's doing. And, uh, that dude, that's just, that's just growing up, man. That is just, uh, unfortunately, the reality of growing up. That's, that's why you got to make the most of your weekends because the weekends are like, okay, that's, you know, days off slash weekends. That's your, that's your moment to shine. Say, no, friends, I'm not going to go out and, and do that thing. Say no to theme parks. I'm not going to go out and uh, ride that Space Mountain. I'm not going to go eat that new uh, cupcake with Mickey Mouse ears on it. Whatever the fuck it is the world's trying to get you to do. Don't leave your house. Lock the doors. Play your Xbox. This is your time to shine. Enjoy it. You'll be dead soon. All right. And God bless you too, Wade Lau. I'm sorry for leaving you out. Guys, that's going to do for all of our comments, shoutouts, replies. Remember for next week, don't be an asshole. Oh, wait, I mean, don't be shy, reply. Next, let's jump into what I've been playing. Before I can tell you about what I've been playing this past week, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. And think of, speaking of theme parks, this past Saturday was my once-a-month trip to Universal. I have a nice little groove going where I can never get myself to go to Universal because despite having the pass, I find that Universal is too far away from where I live to justify ever going. But Disney is like spitting distance from where I live, so it's just like... And plus, I love Disney way more, so it's just like always Disney. But I have a I have a nice little routine thing where once a month, my job makes me work one Saturday morning. So what I do is, on my on my one one Saturday a month, I go in, I do my thing, I go to the office, and then when I'm done, I head over to Universal because my job's a lot closer to Universal. And then I do like my four obligatory hours a month of like, yes, I went to Universal. I justified the the reason why I bought a pass here. And I usually have a good time because I always give Universal shit, but it's it's a good time. So the problem is Universal has so few rides compared to Disney that even though Universal has some really good rides, I never want to go to the park and ride rides because it's like, okay, uh, I walked in this park. There's only like four rides worth a damn and they all have eight hour lines. Fuck that. So my thing is I, I had to find my own fun. And my fun these past X amount of months or whatever, it's been five months, has been trying to complete a pizza tour of Universal. One thing I really respect about Universal is every quick service pizza spot they have on property, whether it be City Walk, hotels, this park, that park, they're all slightly different pizzas, whereas Disney usually just sells the same type of pizza everywhere. And so I've been really enjoying this pizza tour around Universal over the past couple months. And so this past week, I did my obligatory once a month trip to Universal the parks were fucking slammed, of course, it's spring break. The line's way too long. I'm not going to wait an hour and a half to fucking ride, what, Minions or some bullshit like that? No, no fucking thank you. So, skip that, but I do my pizza tour. And this week, we tried Louie's. Now, Louie's Pizza is located in, what is that, the New York area, the San Francisco area? I don't even fucking know. It all blurs together to me. But it's located in the Universal Orlando Park, the original park, the Universal Studios Park. 
and um, they got these jumbo slices of pizza. So I'm thinking, oh, this is probably going to be because up until this point, I've had really good pizza everywhere else I've had. But in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be the universal pizza that sucks because it's not like one of those like made to order personal pizzas that you get at most theme park pizza spots. It's like they make a massive like I, I, I had to guess like a 28 inch pizza or some shit like that. And then you order a slice and they cut a fourth of the pizza and give you a jumbo fucking slice. And that's what you get for 10 bucks instead of like a little personal size pizza. So I'm I'm walking into this expecting, okay, okay, this is going to suck. It's going to be like old, cold, shitty pizza. Probably just reheat it. It's probably crap. Got to be honest. Now, it's not as good as the pizza, pizza Predatoria over at the Jurassic Park area of Islands of Adventure. Because that pizza is still dank as hell. It's like Sam's Club fuck Chuck E. Cheese. I love it. But Louie's Pizza in Universal Studios, two thumbs up. Or I'd say a thumb and a half. For theme park pizza, it's pretty damn good. Uh, for pizza pizza, it, it's solid. It's not bad at all. Uh, of course, I always got to compare by trying the pepperoni as a classic slice. So it's the default one you got to try. I don't mind the other slices, but that, that's more for a second or third try, not a first try. So we went with pepperoni. It was good. It was oily, but not too oily. It was foldable. The crust had a good chew to it. It wasn't flavorless or cardboardy, which is amazing considering it was theme park pizza. The cheese was stringy and hot and fresh and yummy. And the, and the sauce I never paid attention to because cheese and bread is more important than sauce, let's be honest. It had a good time. So Universal, even though I'm a Disney boy at heart, even though I love my shitty Disney pizza that is objectively terrible and frozen, I still love it. I got to give you credit, Universal. Your pizza game continues to impress me. Cabana Bay, awesome pizza. Islands of Adventure, Pizza Predatoria, awesome pizza. Now Louie's at Universal Studios, awesome pizza. Next up, we're going to try that Fantastic Four restaurant. I'm pretty confident it's going to be shit, but let's see. You guys have been surprising me a lot lately, so we'll follow up on that in about a month or so. Guys, that's it for what I've been eating. Now, real quick, here's what I've been playing. Cracks Knuckles. Now, the past couple weeks, I've been saying again and again, I'm sorry, I'm just not, I haven't had time, I'm busy, I'm not in a video game mood. This past week, I found time, I made time. In fact, I sacrificed the YouTube video I'm working on to do this, which is wrong. I promise I'm working on a YouTube video, I'm hoping to have it out in the next week or so. Uh, hint, hint, it's about Elden Ring, so maybe that makes you more optimistic about the future, I don't know. But I, I haven't been playing Elden Ring, I haven't been working on a video the past few days. Instead, what I've been doing is playing through the following games, so... Halo, I'm, I'm still feeling Halo, Halo, so every day I'm just doing a couple matches, getting my you know daily challenges and, and my XP points, working on my battle pass, and then we're playing it on Monday nights for the stream, twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. Uh, I'm having a good time with it. I Again, I, I feel like such a fucking baby saying this, but it's true, okay? It just is true. If I am sitting on my couch all alone listening to a podcast, no one's around, no one can see me, no one can hear me, I'm playing Halo Infinite, and I'm not a god or anything, but I'm good. I'm above average. I'm doing well. I'm usually first or second every match on my team. I'm, I'm, I'm averaging a 1.5 KDR. Everything's good. My accuracy, my accuracy is always above a 30%. We're having a fun time. I'm getting kills. I'm unlocking challenges. I'm doing well. Fun game. The second I play Halo with someone else, I get an Xbox party, we play it on stream, I have to talk and think and talk and play at the same time or be on camera and play at the same time or just know someone is near me and playing at the same time, I fall apart immediately. I don't know what it is. I've had this problem in the past with streaming, but with Halo Infinite, it is worse than any game ever. I don't know what it is. It will go from like, wow, I played Halo alone by myself last night and I was going 16 and 4 
in my last game. And then it's like, we'll stream it on Twitch. And it's like, wow, I'm going three in 70 right now. Like or some shit, no, no, no hyperbole. It will literally be like, I'm going two and 12 right now. It's just infuriating. I don't know what it is about Halo Infinite. It's just too sweaty. It's just too sweaty. Like I want, when I'm playing alone, I can be a little more zoned in and competitive. But when I'm playing on stream or playing for fun, like guys, let me fuck, like what is it with the skill-based matchmaking? Is that not what ranked play is for? Like, why can't I just play Halo Infinite and just give me a hodgepodge of players? Great players, terrible players, average players. Stop trying to match me with a similar skill level every time I play because the game is just not fun casually. When I'm playing it by myself, it's fun. When I'm trying to goof off on stream and play with you guys and have a conversation about pizza rolls, it's never fun. So Halo continues to be a game I both love and hate. Fix your game, 343. Doesn't matter, I'll keep playing it. Next up, I decided to download and give Tunic a try. Now, you might remember that game came out the other week. This is an indie game that has been long awaited for many years. Uh, I think they revealed in like 2017. Um, it's the little isometric top-down Fox Zelda clone. Now, people love it. It's been getting great reviews. I think it's Metacritic scores like a B plus right now. And people are really praising it for being a really awesome um, spiritual Zelda game while also being very unique and creative with its puzzles and its design and its art and everything. I I want to like Tunic, and it is a good game. I probably spent about 45 minutes with it. And the, here's the thing. is It is cute, it is charming, it is visually striking, and it is fun to play. And yes, it is very much like Zelda, but like high-quality good Zelda. It feels like, you know, a link to the past for Xbox. So these are very great things. If you are... Uh, as someone who loved Zelda growing up, but you pretty much strictly play Xbox these days, Tunic is such a great little game for you. I really recommend it for people who love games like that and maybe are a little more Xbox-centric these days. But as someone who is a lifelong Nintendo fan and kind of feels like a lapsed Zelda fan, I, I, I recognize that this game is impressive, it is beautiful, it is fun, it is very well-crafted, it is very impressively done. But it just doesn't do it for me. There are moments where I'm like, oh, this is fun. I like, oh, I like exploring the map and collecting this and unlocking this and watching this animation. But then it's like, ah, it's, I'm stuck. Or, ah, these enemies are a little hard. And it's trying to, you know, it, it tries to be a little more challenging than Zelda from a combat perspective. And I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with any of that. So, fun game, whimsical, charming, cute, impressive, well crafted. If you're into these types of games at any to any extent, this is a game you have to play. It's in Game Pass. Very, very good get. But for me, it's just like, eh. There's still like 75 Zelda games I've never played. Why would I why would I play Tunic when I could just go finally play, you know, I don't know what I never played the Oracle games or I never played Link's Awakening. You know, I, I played Link to the Past, I played Link Between Worlds, and I've played all of the 3D games except Twilight Princess. Like, why the fuck would I play Tunic when I could just pull on my Switch and go play Link's Awakening for the first time, you know? So that's kind of where I am on it. I think it's a pretty cool game. It's just not for me. But I'm glad it exists. It's a really good critical darling for Xbox in a time where everyone's like, oh, Xbox doesn't really have anything at the moment. So that's good. And I think it's a really nice addition to Game Pass. Definitely helps diversify the portfolio a lot. We definitely don't have games like this on Xbox. Now, I also tried the new Kirby demo. I'll just throw that out there. Obviously, it's not a Nintendo show we're talking about, but I played that new Kirby demo. That game is super cute. I, I, I kind of want to get that game. A lot of fun, but that doesn't really matter. It's not Xbox-related. Now, these last two games are the games I'm most invested in that I've been playing this week. The first one's Devastator. 
This is a game, hey, and you guys give me shit. Some of you guys give me shit sometimes because at the end of the podcast, I read the new game releases of the week. I blow them off. I, I well, whatever, you know, I just run through them. I make fun of them for being small indie games. Devastator is a game I saw on that list last week. And I was like, let me take a look at this game. And I went ahead and I bought it for $5.50 or whatever the fuck it cost. This game is awesome. It is a twin stick shooter. Think like Geometry Wars or something like that. And oh my god, Devastator is good shit. Awesome music, really striking, deep blue, color palette, aesthetic thing going on. Really, really fun. Awesome different guns and weapons and power-ups and being able to just like... It's so cool because every time you play... The, the mode I play is where it's like a bunch of quick successive waves. And every time the, the wave changes, the map changes and the enemy types change. And it's just so cool like change and then the, the, the map is completely different and then you destroy this pat, batch of enemies and then you're onto a new wave and the map reforms again and then you get like these explosives so when you're in a bind you just pop the explosive and just watch everything just obliterate on your screen deeply satisfying the sound the the game soundscape is really good the music is really good um i think the sometimes the audio is a little drowned out by the music but i could probably just adjust that in the settings this game is a ton of fun for five bucks if you're a twin stick shooter fan this is one of the best twin stick shooter games I've played in a couple years, and and twin stick shooters are some of my favorite arcade games. I consistently buy a twin stick shooter or two every year just because I'm I'm always in the mood to try a new one. And Devastator is very very good. I, I highly recommend this game if you're looking for a fun afternoon, a, a nice five dollars to spend on a little indie game, try and check out something new, maybe something to kind of cool off in between some more serious titles like Elden Ring or something like that. Um, Devastator is a very fun time. Um, cannot recommend that game enough. I will definitely be playing more and more of that this weekend. And then the last game I've been playing, I am coming back to a game that I started a few months ago that I never finished. And that is Tron Evolution, the 2010 Xbox 360 game developed by Propaganda Games, who were the guys who made that reboot of Turok then they made Tron Evolution. Then they were working on an MMO Pirates of the Caribbean game before Disney shut them down. And that studio was headed by Josh Holmes, who went on to lead 343 during the Halo 4 and 5 era. So guy basically went and made a reboot of Turok, made a Tron game, then had a Pirates of the Caribbean game canceled on him, and then went and led up 343's initiative with Halos 4 and 5. So... Kind of a funny track record, but um, I just find that notable. It's an Xbox podcast. Guys has hands on a lot of notable Xbox games as well as games I like. So interesting stuff. But Tron Evolution, I am less high on it this second time around. Um, I will definitely see it through to the end. In fact, I'm at the end of the game now, so I'll, I'll finish that up this weekend. This is one of those games that's like, I like it. It's a Jesse game because I like double A budget movie tie-in kind of games where you can see that they had a lot of intention and they had a lot of good ideas but they weren't able to really execute because they probably had 10 months to make an entire fucking video game kind of game but Tron Evolution has some really good gameplay mechanics really interesting ideas like in order to heal you have to like wall run on like these energy strips to like recharge yourself and like to get new special abilities you have to like pull vault over certain types of uh environments to like gain energy and shit like that and the combat's interesting you can do different variations of your combat style and it's a lot of parkour and stuff but sometimes the camera and controls are a little wonky during the parkour so it's that thing of like there's some really good ideas for a game here and then this it's all shoved into like this really cheesy budgety corny video game movie tie-in experience 
because this is the game that launched when the movie Tron um, Legacy came out in 2010. Um, but I- I'm still able to really appreciate and like it despite the fact because that's just a kind of game I've always been really drawn to. I've always really admired games like that. Um, just as someone who's grown up playing a lot of like Disney movie licensed games and shit. But I, I, from a gameplay perspective, and as a Tron fan, I'm really enjoying my playthrough of this game. In fact, I'm kind of disappointed that it took me so long to finally finish this game. But from like a polish and like a recommendable st- st- uh, standpoint, this game is not for everyone and it is not particularly impressive. And obviously, people probably never gave a shit about it then and have no reason to give a shit about it now. But I am having fun with it. Um, I will probably go back and play it either a second time or just try to collect some achievements. Uh, but I, I like this game. I've been going through a very big Tron phase lately. I don't know why. I, I've always been a Tron fan, but like lately I've been like on like a super Tron kick where I, I just keep re-watching the two movies over and over again. And I'm re-watching the TV show um, from 2012 again. And I'm just playing through all the games again. I'm just like, I'm having a moment here. I'm just anxiously waiting for Disney to finally finish this fucking Tron roller coaster they've been building for 500 years. Uh, but no, I'm just, I don't know, I'm really enjoying Tron at the moment, so it's prompted my desire to play Tron Evolution, having a really good time with that, despite it being a very rough around the edges, budgety, quickly made game. Uh, but between that and Devastator, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting a stride where, yes, I'm disappointed in myself because I left Far Cry 6 in the backlog and I really didn't want to do that, but I'm, I'm glad to be finding games that are resonating with me and sticking with me at the moment, having fun playing games. Um, so between Devastator and Tron and Halo, I'm I'm in that pocket. I'm enjoying myself. I'm going to try to ride it out for a little bit before before the, the, the feeling fades away. Guys, that's it for what I've been playing this week. And with that all out of the way, we're ready to jump into the proper news of the week. We're already an hour and 15 minutes in. Fuck me. But hey, here we go. And welcome back. Let's get into the news, everybody. So our first story, our big story this week, would you believe it, is actually about PlayStation. Well... It's about PlayStation's new subscription service, which is obviously their direct competitor, or not direct competitor, but rather their response to Game Pass and the increasing demand and acknowledgement of streaming services, or rather subscription services, in the games industry. So, let's jump into it, guys. A lot of meaty details here, and then we'll discuss, okay? From our boys over at VGC, Sony Interactive Entertainment have officially announced its new three-tier subscription service, which will use the PlayStation Plus brand and offer access to hundreds of games. As previously reported in the press, the service will combine two of Sony's existing subscription offerings, PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, and phase out the branding of the latter. The new service will launch for PS4 and 5 starting this June, structured across three payment tiers, Essentials, Extra, and Platinum. What is this, a fucking Disney annual pass? PlayStation Plus Essentials offers the same benefits as the current PlayStation Plus service with monthly free games, discounts for online multiplayer, and it will also cost the same, $10, $25, or $60, uh, sorry, 10 bucks a month, 25 for three months, and 60 bucks a year. Meanwhile, PlayStation Plus extras will include the same benefits, but with access to a library of 400 downloadable PS4 and 5 games. These games will include Death Stranding, God of War, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 2018, um, Mortal Kombat 11, Returnal, and many more. Additional titles, such as third-party titles, will be announced at a later date with regular editions planned for the future, according to Sony. PlayStation Plus Extra will cost $15 a month, which is in line with what Game Pass costs monthly, $40 for three months, or $100 a year. Finally, PlayStation Plus Premium includes all of the above 
benefits we've already mentioned, but adds up to additional 340 games, including PS3 titles available via cloud streaming and a catalog of classic games available in both standard streaming download options from the original PlayStation, PlayStation 2 and PSP generations. PlayStation Plus Premium will also offer cloud streaming access for original PlayStation 2, PSP, and PS1, and PS4 games offered in the extra and premium tiers in markets where PlayStation Now is currently available. So so if you have the premium tier, games that are available in the second and third tier will be available as streaming options as well. Uh, kind of like how cloud streaming works on Xbox, except Xbox doesn't have different tiers like that. Um, except for just with or without cloud streaming. Uh, in addition, premium members who will have access to limited time game trials, allowing them to try select games before they buy, premium will cost 17 In addition, premium members will also be able to access limited time game trials, allowing them to select games before they buy. Premium will cost $17.99 a month, $50 for three months, or $120 a year. When the new PlayStation Plus service launches, PlayStation Now, the streaming service that currently exists on PlayStation, will transition over and no longer be available as a standalone service. Unlike Microsoft's Game Pass service, the new PlayStation Plus will not add first-party games on the day of release. In an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, PlayStation CEO Jim Ryan claimed that adopting such a model would result in less investment into its studios and could result in lower-quality games. Quote, This is not the road we've gone down in the past, and it's not the road that we're going to go down now with this service, he said. Continuing on, We feel like we... We feel like if we were to do that with the games that we make on PlayStation, the virtuous the virtuous cycle will be broken. The level of investment that we need to make our studios would not be possible. And we think the knock-on effect of the quality of our games that we'll make w- would not be something that gamers want. So, oh my god, we've got a lot to get into. So let me write... The, I, I had a, When I read this, I had a knee-jerk thing. I just wrote it down immediately. So I'm just going to read that and we'll talk about it. And then I'm going to get into some other things, including including what Jim Ryan has to say about the quality of games and then compare comparing the the, the features and costs of the, the varying tiers of the subscription service and then tying that all back to Game Pass and relating that. So the first thing I wrote immediately when I read this story, I don't know whether this is the first thing that came to mind, but I just said, basically, I literally wrote this down. I think this new subscription service that Sony's offering has potential worse implications than what people feared with Game Pass, with it being substantial and how or unsustainable and how it could affect the game development vertical and how people consume and buy games. Knowing that you won't get first party games the day they release into your service, but that they will come eventually could potentially incentivize your players on PlayStation to just wait out first party releases altogether. Meaning rather than buying that new Uncharted game the day it comes out, waiting six to 10 months or whatever it is, because you know it's going to come into PlayStation Plus as all games do at some point or another. It's also frustrating for the players because it makes the service seem weak by comparison to Game Pass, while they are potentially even paying more money than Game Pass depending on their tier. I don't care if they said that this isn't supposed to be a direct comparison to Game Pass. This is how everyone is going to compare the service, whether they like it or not, at Sony. Everyone is going to subscribe to this because finally PlayStation has a solution to Game Pass. Because this is the option you get if you're a PlayStation fan. So that's what they're up against. So with that knee-jerk response... Let's relate it to the rest of this because that is exactly the case. Now, Kronky made a good point. He, he texted me. He's like, I, I don't get it. It's basically just exactly what they have now, 
but they're rebundling it differently because you think about it, it's like PlayStation Now has been a service on 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 PlayStation for longer than Game Pass has been an option on Xbox. PlayStation Now has been available forever. And for those unfamiliar, PlayStation Now was literally just a $10 a month subscription where it gave you access to a catalog of PlayStation games that you could stream only. You cannot download, but you can stream from the cloud to your PlayStation console. Now, I think years later, they added an ability to download some of those games, but only if it was PS4 games. So if it was a PS1, PS2, PS3 game, you were still streaming it. And in fact, I think it was only PS3 and PS4 games. I don't think they had PS1 and 2. And then... Later on in its life, some PS4 games you could download like Game Pass. But that was PlayStation Now. Basically, they're just lumping that into PlayStation Plus. So that's kind of like what Xbox did by just making everything Game Pass. And I, and I actually think because Sony is doing this, this will give Xbox an excuse to finally do a couple things. Because one, I think this means PlayStation is going to get rid of their PlayStation Plus games, which is basically their version of Games of Gold. This is going to be an opportunity for them to stop doing that, I, I firmly believe, and I think Xbox will follow suit. You will see games of gold and PlayStation Plus games completely disappear, the three free games a month or whatever it is that you, you get, that's just going to go away. I think this is also an opportunity, because PlayStation is leading the charge on this, where we're going to see Xbox Live gold go away completely, I think. We're going to have basically PlayStation Plus, as as we know, is gone in terms of like just being a service for accessing and playing games online because now PlayStation Plus is tied in with PlayStation Now. And I think that Xbox will do the same. They'll get rid of Xbox Live Gold and it'll be two options. For 10 bucks a month, you can get Game Pass where you can download and stream games, blah, 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 from the library. But if you want to be able to play them from the cloud or if you want to direct stream them and try them out from your console, then you're going to have to get the $15 subscription, which will be Game Pass Ultimate. So I, I, I think Xbox will probably play around with those features and services a little bit because of this. It might be a little while before we see it, but I think eventually that's inevitable. But let, let's get into the, the main things I want to talk about. So Kronky's good point was this really isn't a it's really not a full fledged response to Game Pass because one simple thing. The fact that PlayStation games will not launch into PlayStation Plus the day they are released means that this is exactly everything PlayStation already offers, but bundled and marketed differently. So the way, and don't get me wrong, that's not nothing, because this will, I think this will be a net positive for them um, compared, compared to what they currently have, because in the long run... No one really gives a shit about PlayStation now. It has a, it has some a couple million subscribers, but nothing compared to what Game Pass has. So I think by remarketing and rebundling your service this way, it's going to get people. It's going to get a lot of less in the know people, a lot of less involved people to start thinking about this more. Of like, oh cool, PlayStation have like a Game Pass thing now, and you know how it works. PlayStation's already the most popular platform. People are going to play PlayStation no matter what. So this just gives that segment of the market their response to Game Pass that they were waiting for already. So that's that's what this is about more than anything, because you think about it, it's like the first tier, the first tier is literally just PlayStation Plus exactly as it exists now. A couple free games a month, plus the ability to play games online in discounts. Boom. That's what PlayStation Plus already is. The second tier is basically the response to Game Pass, where they're like, okay, it's everything you had before, plus now you get access to a library of games from previous generations. And that is the one that is priced in line with Game Pass Ultimate. But this is the rough part. is It's the third and highest tier that really ha gives Game Pass any kind of form of competition, if you even want to call it that. 
but it's more expensive than Game Pass Ultimate. It's $3 more than Game Pass Ultimate. And the only thing it offers that Game Pass Ultimate doesn't offer is game trials. And and don't get me wrong, I actually think that's a really cool feature. I, I, I wish every platform had this. I, I've often wished platforms had this. Um, usually Steam is the only one that has any like substantial version of this. Otherwise, you get the odd one-off demo here and there for various games like the new Final Fantasy game. But I love the idea of having specific trials and demos for pretty much everything in the store all together. Obviously, on Xbox, it doesn't matter as much because most everything, you know, Game Pass just includes the games. But it would be nice for games that aren't Game Pass titles to just have demos and trials for them. So I think that's a cool feature and benefit. But again, this is $3 a month more than Game Pass, and it does not include all the day and date content. So for so by by for comparison's sake, for $3 less a month, you're going to get things like Forza Horizon 5 and Halo Infinite launched into Game Pass the day they come out so you don't have to spend $60 on them. You're going to get things like Redfall and Starfield and Elder Scrolls 6 and all these games launched into Game Pass the day they come out. You won't have to go buy these games individual for $60. Conversely, on PlayStation, you can pay $3 more a month and you still got to go spend $70 on the new God of War game, $70 on Spider-Man 2, $70 on the new Horizon Zero Dawn game or whatever. You got you to buy all of these games for $70. But you're paying more money for your subscription. And on top of that, on Xbox, I can download an OG Xbox game or a 360 game to my Xbox and play them on my console. On PlayStation... I, and this dude, this is the thing. This isn't even me hating on PlayStation being an Xbox fanboy because I I like PlayStation. In fact, I really love PS3. I think PS3 is like my favorite PlayStation generation. So this pains me to say this. I'm so tired of PlayStation not being able to figure this out. But for three dollars more, you can play PlayStation One, Two, and Three games via cloud and not download them to your console and not play them directly off your hardware and not play them natively or through emulation or whatever. You have to fucking stream it. Because for whatever reason, and I understand cell architecture, the PlayStation 3 was a wonky console. There's a whole history and a reason for it. Guys, there's no excuse. And I, I, I'm sorry, I misspoke. The PSP, PS1, and PS2 games, you can download. They're, they're, you can stream or download them. But the PS3 games, you cannot download them. And I know Sony always has some excuse about how the architecture of the PS3 was weird and they can't pull it off and there's some technical hiccups and it's just not easy to do. But guys, you are Sony. You are the biggest name in the video games industry. I don't want excuses. Figure it the fuck out. There's no excuse. You can figure it out. You can absolutely 100% figure it out. It might not be cheap or easy, but it's what you fucking need to bite the bullet and do. Take care of your fucking fan base. Xbox is a platform that has less history than PlayStation, far fewer big, recognizable AAA characters and IP in video games, yet they still manage to respect their history and treat it better than any way PlayStation does with their with their past generations. Why is that the case? Why is Xbox out here like, yeah, fuck it, we'll make your new Xbox randomly just up-res games from 15 years ago and make them run at double the fucking frame rate for no fucking reason. But PlayStation cannot get Resistance Fall of Man from 2006 to run natively on a PS5. I don't want to hear about your your SSD being faster. I don't want to hear about your controller being more sophisticated and premium. I don't want to hear about your fucking games being better than Xbox because you like 
third-person, open-world Ubisoft games over first-person shooters. I don't want to hear about any of this bullshit console warrior Team Blue versus Team Green shit. Why on God's green motherfucking earth can I play Sonic Unleashed on my Xbox Series X, a game Xbox did not make at a, at a smooth 60 FPS, finally, on my Series X, a game Xbox did not make, but on my PlayStation 5, I can't play Resistance, which is a game from 2006 that PlayStation did make for their console, and apparently their new hardware is supposed to be like the most next-gen, premium, fastest-loading piece of thing in the world. So, like, wh- and you're charging th- $3 more per month for that? So... I'm extremely hung up on where Sony has the balls to charge more and give less and just and continuously have an excuse for why they can't figure out these easy things. That drives me nuts. So I think as Xbox fans, right, it's easy to look at this and be like, this service sucks compared to Game Pass. Game Pass is significantly better. I think anyone and everyone can agree Game Pass is better. That being said, I still think this service is going to be extremely successful for PlayStation, and I think it's going to earn them a lot of goodwill from casuals and less hardcore people, and overall it's going to do them some some good. Because the biggest problem PlayStation had wasn't that it didn't have a direct response to Game Pass, it's that their options and services and features and shit were a little more disjointed and poorly marketed. Game Pass is so great. It's one service that has it all. Whatever the things you've heard that Xbox can do, this one service can do all the things, whether you know what they are or not. PlayStation's been confusing. It's like, well, this service does this, but this feature isn't available, and this feature works depending on the generation of games you're playing, and it's it's a mess. And it's still messy, don't get me wrong. They have three fucking tiers, and every console generation works differently with what it can, can and can't do. But it's much clearer. It's like, hey, here's a subscription, and it gives you access to a massive backlog of games. There you go. It's like Game Pass. It just doesn't have new games on it. So there's that. The other thing I want to talk about is Jim Ryan's whole thing here. Sony, the only thing Sony has that they can fight with. Sony's got one thing that they can beat Microsoft with that Microsoft just cannot compete with. But lucky for PlayStation, it's a really big thing they have, which is that PlayStation has quality. I will never knock this. I think PlayStation does the best job of any publisher in the entire industry. PlayStation does the number one best job at managing their studios, at cultivating culture and relationships and talent, and at consistently putting out games that whether you like them or not, feel authentic and premium to the platform for which they were developed for. You cannot play a PlayStation game again, whether you like the game or not. You cannot play a PlayStation game and tell me Horizon Zero Dawn, Uncharted, The Last of Us, God of War, Spider-Man. These games all have an equal, super high quality, specifically tailored experience to the PlayStation console and brand that is completely unmatched by any other third-party game or anything Xbox is doing on their platform. It is just special on PlayStation. So the only reason I'm saying this is to say there's no way PlayStation is talking out of their ass completely when they talk about the quality of games they have and that they want to maintain because there's no denying that they do have it. And Xbox is definitely a little more disjointed. You talk about Halo Infinite, a game that is fundamentally such a good game, but how the fuck did it take them six years and they still don't have like half a fucking legitimate multiplayer suite fleshed out and available for players and it's missing so much content and the roadmap's completely fucked up and they can't get the marketing straight and everything's a mess. Don't get me wrong. 
The game we got is really damn good. It has a really great foundation. But man, it's missing a lot. And then you got, like, Forza Horizon 5. That came out great. That's great. But then they're putting out shit all the time, like this fucking, like, bleeding edge and, and like, uh, like getting behind marketing deals with things like Crossfire X, which even though I love it, I recognize that's definitely not a game you want to push to a mainstream market. So it's like Xbox is all over the place when it comes to cultivating relationships, pushing for quality, consistently putting out things that have a, a unified identity and brand and consistency and quality. They definitely struggle with that compared to PlayStation. I'm not going to defend Xbox. We're talking about how fucked the initiative is right now. We were just talking about that the other week. PlayStation, you would never hear a story like that. Of course they have development health stories. Of course they have behind-the-scenes drama. They have things where this person's left this studio and this idea needed to get scrapped and rebooted internally. Of course that stuff happens. But the way it happens at Xbox and the amount of times it's happened at Xbox and to the extent it happens at Xbox, you wouldn't see that at PlayStation. So i got to give PlayStation credit where the credit's due. But here's the thing. We're reaching this junction where you have to kind of just guess. You have to, you have to use the knowledge that we have and your intuition and just try to make an educated guess as to which way this is going to play out. Because you got PlayStation saying, well, we don't want to put our first party content into our service day and date because we're so confident in the quality of our games that if we're giving our games away for such a low, low price, basically including the subscription service, it's going to reduce our ability to invest in our studios and put more money into making these games and put out a higher quality product every time. Whereas conversely on Xbox, it's like, whatever, they're Microsoft. They can dump endless money into everything. It doesn't fucking matter, right? But you look at the quality and the consistency of what they put out in Game Pass, and it's a little more all, all over the roadmap. Now, you could chalk that up to growing pains because Xbox is in a really unique early infancy kind of stage with what it's trying to do with Game Pass. But we talk about all the time how the benefit to Game Pass is they don't need every game to be the same game. They don't need every game to be a $60, AAA, open world, narrative-driven, third-person action, collect-a-thon, whatever game, like everything on PlayStation is. Like everything Ubisoft makes is. Like everything every publisher wants to do now is. Xbox is free from that because of Game Pass. And publishers and developers who choose to work with Xbox through Game Pass are going to be free from that burden. It's a fucking burden. It's a plague. There are some games that are really great like that, and people love them. But there are some games that are deeply held back by having to be a part of what the mainstream AAA modern expectation of a video game is, because that's the only way you're going to sell your game. But Game Pass frees you to be flexible and weird and creative and make the game you want to make. And so what we get right now is PlayStation has super high-quality games that are all pretty uniform. And they're like, hey, we want to be able to con consistently control this. And if we're giving all of our AAA games away, including a $15 a month subscription, we're not going to be able to afford to keep investing in Naughty Dog making these fucking high-quality Last of Us games every six years. But, you know, if you got like... This team's working on like a stupid little multiplayer side project, and this team's working on a big AAA first-person shooter. But this team's working on like a double-A like a rogue type game and all this shit. Like if you have the whole spectrum of shit, then everything costs a different amount, and you can invest a little bit in everything, and you can throw ideas and money around, and also your Xbox, which is backed by Microsoft. So who gives a shit? And then yeah, the consistency is a little more all over the map, but the variety and the diversity and the flexibility and freedom that's being given to that space of the games industry is a lot more attractive. So I think we're at a crossroads where Xbox is going through these growing pains. PlayStation cannot afford 
to put their content into this service day and date. And so each of them have to kind of double down on the path they've chosen. It's kind of interesting because even though Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 are very much um, similar in terms of hardware, we're getting a lot more of a different Xbox and a different PlayStation this generation than we did last generation. And I find that ironic because last generation Xbox was going to be so different from PS4 because Kinect was a huge part of Xbox One and always online and all these these things that Xbox One was supposed to be that they doubled down, that they went back on and chicken shit out of because people bullied them. We ended up getting an Xbox One that was very much exactly like the PS4 the entire generation. This generation, conversely, we have two hardware pieces that are pretty identical in terms of capability and, and design. But in terms of how they're being utilized, very, very different. Because Sony has to stick down this road. It's proven to work for them for the past 15 years or so. So why the fuck would they stray from it? Double down on these super high-profile, high-budget AAA games that cost $70 that people are going to buy and talk about and eat up and give 10s out of 10s to and love and do nothing else and have a supplemental service that gives you older games along with multiplayer benefits. And then you got Xbox who's like, make a wide-ranging catalog of everything from the smallest games to the most niche games to the most high-profile AAA games and everything in between, but have it all speak to varying markets but all be included under one convenient, easy subscription service. And it's going to take a while because it's risky because maybe at some point people get sick of PlayStation and go, listen, I'm really tired of every play. You know, people might wake up at some point and realize, oh my God, every PlayStation game is the same fucking game. Just sometimes you look like Spider-Man. Sometimes you look like a, like a native American girl from the, from the San Francisco dinosaur future. But on Xbox, it's like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to confuse Halo for Redfall because those games are nothing alike. I'm not going to confuse Starfield for Crossfire X because those games have nothing in common. And that's that's the thing. But if Xbox keeps making bad deals and doubling down on games that don't draw an audience and have a bad reputation or don't perform well in terms of reception and, and respect from audiences, people might lose faith in the quality of Game Pass. And that could that could hurt them a lot, just like how Sony could hurt themselves by training their audience to think, oh, just subscribe to the service, don't buy their AAA first-party games, wait six months, then they'll come to your subscription service. There's a lot of things at play here that could go any number of ways. But what's so exciting about this is we never we never see anything like this. So between Xbox Game Pass and PlayStation Plus and Sony doubling down on standalone first-party games and Xbox going all in on subscriptions, it's like we're seeing such a wide variety of new and unique concepts and it's just a matter of what are these games going to look like over the course of the next few years and how are players going to respond and receive these games it's really exciting so it's possible playstation's full shit but it's also possible they have a really good point here i'm incredibly excited now that sony has repositioned their subscription service this way to see going forward what this means for PlayStation and if they're able to pull this off. Because obviously they're going to get a lot of shit from hardcore gamers, from Xbox fanboys, about how your subscription service is shit, it costs more, it comes with less features. Like, fuck that. But at the same time, PlayStation has a less is more quality over quantity approach to their content. And I don't think this is necessarily a recipe for disaster for them. But I just, again, it's just, I'm so curious to see how this plays out. All right, let's 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 step away from that for a little bit. We talked about it for quite a long while. We have some other stories to get through, and this podcast is already running long. 
So, guys, let's jump into our second story. Now, this is one, if I had a lot to say about the last story, this is just the opposite. I have so little to say on this next story, but I recognize it is big news nonetheless. Now, VGC reports Xbox Games Studio Publishing has officially announced a new cloud gaming organization. According to Microsoft, the division that works with studios to develop cloud-native titles and will bring them exclusively to the Xbox ecosystem. This division is being led by Kim Swift, who joined Xbox last year as cloud gaming director. Swift rose to prominence as a lead designer of Valve's Portal before working as a designer and artist on Left 4 Dead and its sequel. More recently, Swift was the game design director at Stadia, Google Stadia, that failed project. And in a presentation video aimed at developers, Swift explained that the division's mandate is to partner with world-class game developers and teams to develop cloud-native titles to bring unprecedented experiences to players that can only be achieved with cloud technology. The concept of cloud-native games differs somewhat from simply streaming games, like what we're used to seeing now with Game Pass. While technically this counts as cloud-native because it relies on remote servers, these servers are still mainly running games that were designed for home consoles. So, for example, when you're streaming a game like Shadow of the Tomb Raider to your Samsung Galaxy phone, you're basically just playing a remote Xbox One somewhere in the cloud far away and recreating that experience for you to enjoy on your cell phone. Where, as opposed, this could be more like playing a game that was designed for the ground up for cloud and the hardware requirements are un are irrelevant altogether because you're just going to stream that content to your device and so these games can be designed with any kind of computer or mind because the sky's the limit when it's going to be streamed via the cloud an early example of this concept can be seen in crackdown 3's wrecking zone mode in which players use the cloud processing to interact with destructible physics and in games uh, in in game to blow up enormous buildings in countless small pieces and there would be no performance drop due to the cloud processing applying that kind of concept to game development in in its totality would apply more to what this team is all about supporting and cultivating cloud gaming quote is still in its infancy swift said in her presentation comparing the new division's position where with where netflix was when it just started to move from a mail-in disc company to a streaming service Quote, at the time Netflix was uh, was formed, internet speeds were not where they needed to be in order to send packets fast enough to support streaming. So instead, they sent you physical packets in the mail in the forms of DVDs. And they had to wait for the technology to catch up, but they were ready for it when the time came. Swift sees the future of cloud gaming falling into three separate categories. Ubiquity, cloud AI, and runtime calculations. According to Swift, Ubiquity, the ability to stream games on a device even though even though that wouldn't be powerful enough to run the game natively, is the low-hanging fruit of the cloud content, meaning that's what we already know, that's where our minds immediately go to, and that's what we already do. Cloud AI, however, means that advance, it will advance what developers can do by using technology like machine learning and natural language processing and reinforcement learning. While this could be used... While this could lead to benefits for players in the shape of things like more convincing NPCs, it could also lead to useful tools for developers, such as abilities for QA bots, which can use machine learning to test games on a huge scale, toxicity detectors and filters in online gaming, and using machine learning to improve games that have procedurally generated features. Finally, the runtime calculations could be used to increase horsepower and runtime, leading to improved graphics rendering. AI agents, agents and as Swift puts it, all the things. So let's just talk about this. That's a lot of information for a story. I don't have too much to discuss other than to say clearly, it's pretty straightforward what this is about. You know, you think about cloud streaming and we always think about it in what they refer to as the low hanging fruit ubiquity way, right? 
which is like, oh, there's this new game coming out, Starfield, right? Well, it's being designed for the Xbox Series X, but we have these computers that basically run like Xbox Series Xs in cloud fields or in like cloud infrastructure centers all over the country. And basically people can stream this game from their Xbox or from their phone or from their tablet or their computer and play this game anywhere they go. It would be just the same experience as if they were playing on the console, but they're streaming it via the cloud, right? That's our concept of cloud gaming. Now let's take that to the next step. What if developers didn't have to be limited in their development due to a platform that has to be as low cost as something like a uh, Xbox Series X? And therefore, they can do much more ambitious shit because you design and develop for a platform that 99% of consumers can never afford to own. But you're not asking them to buy a machine to play it. You're asking them to just simply stream and download the game and play the game via the cloud. So you think about designing a game on the world's most powerful supercomputer, so to speak, hypothetically, right? And now you can use machine learning and AI to make super intricate uh, NPCs and have absurdly high fidelity like particle effects and destruction and and the ability for the game to render things super fast and never have to load anywhere ever for any at any reason or any point ever in a game because these games can run off multi-million dollar supercomputers and then be streamed to the user on a Samsung Galaxy S22 or whatever, just an everyday phone, right? And so that's the initiative here. That's the point of this is to not just support cloud gaming, but try to cultivate, develop, and improve on where this technology is headed, even if this is something consumers won't necessarily be interacting with and enjoying in the next year or two or five. This might be something that's like 10 years from now maybe. But in investing in it today and preparing for it today, when we finally get to that point, the idea is that Xbox will be so ahead of the curve, ready to go, kind of like they already were when it came to xCloud to begin with. So really not much for me to say to that other than this is really exciting um, for a long ways away from now in the future when cloud streaming is better and better and better than it is now and the latency is lower and the connection is stronger and we're able to more reliably view cloud streaming as a viable way to play games in a regular way and not so much as a in a pinch way. Like I think about the real applications of when I've used cloud streaming. There was the time I was in the airport waiting for a flight and so I busted out my Surface Pro and an Xbox controller and I played Psychonauts 2 in an airport terminal. It was a little janky, it was a little laggy, it was a little messy, but it was pretty fucking cool to be playing my Xbox Series X that's all the way over in Orlando, Florida from an airport in Atlanta. That was cool. But I can't think of many instances where something like that has been the case. Most times, when I'm playing a game, I'm just sitting on my couch in front of my TV on my Xbox, and that's the way I prefer to play. The experience is more premium. It's much better. It's more convenient and comfortable. That's really how I play games. But we're talking about eventually being able to transition away, and this, and this in so many ways can play into the inevitable future of games. You know, Phil Spencer talks about how they're not done making hardware, Xbox hardware, but... We all know at the end of the day, the the goal in 10, 20 years is that there's no such thing as an Xbox box. There's no such thing as a PlayStation console. It's a subscription service and an application, an app on your phone, an app on your TV, an app on your iPad, an app on your computer, an internet connection and a subscription service. And you connect a controller and you play your Xbox anywhere and everywhere you go. And that's the idea. And we're very far away from that. And by playing games on our actual Xboxes, it's like the mail-in DVD days of Netflix. 
And even though I think home consoles are here to stay around a lot longer by comparison, I, I think the the idea or the intention is that hopefully one day that's not how we have to do this. Now, I know a lot of us are like, well, we're happy with our <laughs> physical hardware, but we might not always say that. Who knows? Depends where technology takes us. All right, we got two more stories. This next one actually plays in a little bit to what we were talking about earlier with the stream in our first big story. But uh, as related by VGC, Tango Gameworks founder Shinji Mikami has said that he wants Tokyo or Ghostwire Tokyo developer uh, Tango to work on smaller and non-horror related games in the future. The former Resident Evil series director said in the latest Japanese magazine interview for Famitsu, as transcribed by VGC, that he wants people to stop associating the studio with single genre and that he has plans to make non-horror related games in the future. Quote, I hope to eventually change the image at Tango, the one that we currently have, Mikami explains. At the moment, we are seen as a studio that explicitly specializes in survival horror. Of course, it's nice to have fans think of us as a studio with a reputation for developing survival horror, but we also want to be viewed as a studio that can create a wide variety of games. We'll be releasing more and more new games in the future, starting with Ghostwire Tokyo, so please give us your support. End quote. Mikami drove uh, this point home later in an interview by discussing the upcoming games being led by John jo- uh, Johannes, the director of Evil Within 2, revealing that it isn't hor- a, horror ti- a horror title. Mikami had previously confirmed that Johannes was working on a new game but hadn't given further information on it until now, saying, quote, John Johannes, who directed DLC for The Evil Within and The Evil Within 2, is working on a completely new title. It's complete opposite of horror. He- I really have a- It's a really good game, so keep your eyes peeled. Mikami also stressed that he doesn't consider Ghostwire Tokyo, the studio's third game after Evil Within 1 and 2, to be a horror game either. Quote, some people may feel that Ghostwire Tokyo is a bit of a horror feel, but make no mistake, this game is not a horror game. It's an arcade-style action adventure. Even if I explained it like this, you might still think no after the Evil Within series, but it's pure action, as you can freely explore in a, um, a deserted Tokyo while defeating enemies. Tango Gameworks is now officially an Xbox first-party developer, of course, following the acquisition of Bethesda parent ZeniMax last year. And in the interview, Mikami said that he doesn't want Tango to be focused only on big-budget AAA games going forward. He wants to be able to see the studio make smaller games too, um, partly because he feels it's easier to train newcomers in smaller teams. When asked about his goals for the studio, he says, First of all, we should produce a new masterpiece every 10 years. Secondly, we want young people to create new games on their own. We also want to nurture good game creators. Although the games, although we are a studio that makes games, we also want to make it a place where you can grow as a creator and develop your skills and core while working from the bottom up. To be honest, it's quite difficult to train newcomers in a large team. I think the most effective way is to run several game development teams of several dozen, uh, dozens of people. In recent years, commercial considerations have meant that what we have to do to develop is in large teams. However, thanks to the emergency... Thanks to the emergence of games and subscription services like Game Pass over the past few years, we feel it's now possible to make games on a smaller scale. It's possible to gain experience in a small team and get involved in a big project. This way, we can make games even better and projects can be processed more smoothly. Now, I wrote a little note here. This is basically Shinji Mikami, the lord and legend himself, saying, Not all developers want to make AAA, quadruple-A games. Some people just want to maintain a solid core that can split into multiple teams and make a big game here, a couple smaller games here, an experimental title there. They don't have to be confined into making the big AAA 
third-person action game that's narrative-driven that sometimes looks like Spider-Man and sometimes looks like a guy with a torn-up shirt and sometimes looks like a zombie apocalypse and sometimes looks like feudal Japan and sometimes looks like robot dinosaurs, but at the end of the day, they are all the same exact fucking style of game. This is the park of Game Pass. This is the selling point of Game Pass. This is Shinji Mikami, the guy behind Resident Evil 4, the guy behind Platinum Games, over here spitting truth saying, guys... You can't develop and cultivate new talent by just being like, hey, here's Naughty Dog, a team of hundreds of people. Hey, here's a Ubisoft team of a thousand plus people working on the next open world, huge fucking Assassin's Creed game. New blood, have at it. You can't do that. You have to have people who know what they're talking about. You have to have veterans. You have to have people with experience under their belt. But if you want to train and cultivate new people and and, and hone in on specific individuals and, and, and develop a new generation of, of AAA developers and highly capable game de- developers. You got to be able to work in teams. You got to be able to work one-on-one. You got to be able to specialize and hone in with individuals. Not everything can be The Last of Us Part Two. Sometimes you got to make Grounded. Sometimes you got to make Ghostwire Tokyo. And this is the benefit to Game Pass. And this is the thing we keep talking about. Developers love this shit. Developers love this shit. I don't think this is, hey, I work for Xbox now, so I'm cucking out to Big Big Brother. I don't think that's what this is at, at all. I think this is an example of a game developer talking about the ways in which something like Game Pass is beneficial to game developers and being honest and transparent about it because all we ever hear is how, oh, Xbox has no games or Xbox games are dumb, but it's like, don't, don't you get it? At some point, aren't you going to get tired of playing the same game over and over again? At some point, wouldn't you be like, hey... I want to take a break from this massive fucking open world game and try to play something that's a little more bite-sized, a little more unique, a little more outside the box, a little more uh, akin to a kind of game I haven't played in 15 years, akin to a, or, or something wholly unique that I've never played before ever. Wouldn't you like that? And this is Shinji Mikami saying, hey, we're not confining, confining ourselves to horror. We're not confining ourselves to AAA games. Fuck, baby, we're on Game Pass. We're going to try to have a, a big game every decade or so, every now and then. We'd love to. But also, we're going to work on other projects. We're going to have side projects. We're going to train and develop our employees. And we talk about a time in the games industry where talent is so expensive. And it's and it, talent is at such a premium. And everyone's trying to get specific people and gobble them up to work on this team or that team. And it's like, well, we need new talent. And therefore, we need this mentality. We need teams that can work nimbly and small and take on new people and be like, let me show you how it's done because that's how you're going to discover your next Shinji Mikami. That's how you're going to discover your next Hideo Kojima or, you know, these big names in gaming who are just famous for, you know, these this auteur status of like, this guy gets gaming from Sten to Sturm, you know? Your next Shigeru Miyamoto. That's how you're going to find it. You're going to bring in new blood. You're going to train them, develop them, hone in on them. You're not going to be like, oh, you went to college for game making and then you made a game? Here, let me hire you on this project so you can work on this bullshit asset that ends up somehow in some fucking Ubisoft game. Maybe it's a shared art asset between fucking Watch Dogs and and, uh, Assassin's Creed or who gives a shit. It's all the same fucking thing and you're literally just another number working on a massive project that has no heart, that has no soul, that has no identity because we got to keep giving into the machine and making the new AAA 200 hour get your, get your gears ready gamers because this next Assassin's Creed has got 500 hours of content. This is this is the thing that makes me defend Game Pass. It's not being an Xbox fanboy. It's not anything other than 
it, it warms my heart and excites me to see the games industry try to break up the big the the big limited business thing it has going on where it's just like here are the five companies that matter they make the five games that are all the fucking same fuck you nothing else seventy dollars please and to see a service that offers some flexibility and freedom where it's like hey maybe I'll get something like Tron Evolution again you know it's like again it's a little rough around the edges not perfect you know that's why I love Crossfire X so much it's not perfect nine out of ten people who listen to me rave about Crossfire X are saying. Jesse, you're a fucking idiot. That game sucks. It plays like ass. And I'm here to say I'm so happy that we're back to having games like that where you can think it's bad and you can think it's bad and you can think it's bad, but I can play it and I can be like, yeah, it's not perfect. I know it's not as polished as the latest fucking 50th Assassin's Creed game. I get it. But it feels so good to me. You can see the passion in this game. You can see the great ideas at work. You can see definitely where there's room for improvement. You could definitely see it's not a great game. It's definitely rushed to market. Definitely needs some shit. But it's different. It's unique. Man, it's like it's like playing like a Counter-Strike type experience on console. When was the last time we got a game anything like that? No, we can't have that. Because if you're going to make a multiplayer on Xbox, it's got to be, you know, you got to have a hero shooter. You got to have a monkey like an Overwatch. You got to have a girl with anime titties like an Overwatch. You got to have a, a Battle Royale like in Fortnite and Call of Duty. You, you can't do a Counter-Strike game. But thanks to Game Pass, yes, you can. And that's why I fucking love this stuff. And I'm, I know I just keep making the same point, but like this, this, to me, this is the most exciting thing happening in the games industry to date. The fact that we can still have creativity and flexibility and, and, and the autonomy for developers, even under a big banner like Microsoft, to just be able to make shit. Xbox has got to be careful with it, of course, because too much bad rep and bad, rep, uh, bad quality and, 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 and bad press can, maybe hinder the perceived value of Game Pass. But as someone who's willing to play through mediocre games and duds and shit to find... like that, That's what I love about Game Pass is this weekend, I played a bunch of games on my Xbox and they were all extraordinarily different from one another. I played a backwards compatibility game that ran amazing on my Series X because Xbox does that. I played a modern next-gen game on my Xbox Series X and Halo Infinite that looks and runs great and cost me nothing additional because it's included in my subscription service. I paid five bucks for an indie game because not everything has to be in Game Pass, and I supported an independent developer, and I put my money where my mouth is and says, said, just because I have a Game Pass subscription doesn't mean I don't buy games. So I, 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 I dispelled the rumor that Game Pass means people don't buy games, and I supported that. And then I played a new game in Game Pass that is something I normally would not have bought but was curious to give a try because this this service gives me access to new games and new content and that was Tunic. And that is my weekend playing Xbox exemplifying the strengths all around of what this platform is. New next-gen games including this amazing subscription, new independent games I would never normally normally never give a try that I'm giving a go because it's included in my subscription independent new content that's not including the subscription that I'm still willing to invest my money in because I see the value in supporting developers and supporting a variety of different ways to monetize gaming and then old games that are still supported through generations of hardware and play better than ever because backwards compatibility and supporting your legacy and bringing the games from the past with us into the future and having that library remain preserved matters. All four of those games represent it just and that that's all by pure happenstance. That's a pure coincidence. And that was my experience this weekend playing Xbox. Meanwhile, 
on PlayStation, to tie back to that first story, you look back, it's like, well, if this were on PlayStation, first of all, Halo would have cost me $70, would not have been in my $18 a month subscription, but I would have gotten a demo for it. That's nice. Tunic? Yeah, maybe maybe that would have been in the subscription service. Maybe not. So there's that, whatever. That's a toss-up. Devastator? Yeah, I could have bought that for five, six bucks on PlayStation. It's available on that platform as well. I mean, I'm used to buying my Halo games for 70 bucks because they're not included in my subscription. So what's another five bucks? Sure. Tron Evolution, well, wouldn't have been able to play that at all. And if I were able to play it, I would have had to stream it because it's a PS3 game. And it would have looked and run like shit and made me so mad and not want to play it because streaming on my console at home is not fun. So that that's the benefit to the Xbox. People want to sit, sit around all day and talk about how good it is to uh, play Last of Us Part 2. Can't do that on a PlayStation. X, Xbox, one point. PlayStation, zero. All right, and our final... Very Game Pass-centric episode. Our final story of the week, and this is a wrap-up because I I really have nothing to add to it, but interesting data. This is two stories. I'm just morphing them into one because they both are similarly related. Microsoft has paid developers more than $2.5 billion in royalties as part of the publisher's indie initiative, ID at Xbox, over the years. The figure was revealed in a blog post by Xbox's general manager of content, curation, and program, Chris Carla. Quote, since the program's inception, independent developers have earned more than $2.5 billion in royalties and total revenues generated by ID at Xbox partners on Xbox almost doubled over the past three years. Chris also revealed that Xbox has paid developers and publishers hundreds of millions of dollars in Game Pass licensing fees, and we'll see more about that in just a minute. While the blog also states that program that the program has seen over a thousand developers sign up for ID at Xbox over the past few years, uh, Carla concedes that Xbox's work with indie devs still has some ways to go. Quote, one area in which talks with developers and players, uh, we talk about with players and developers a lot, is discoverability. Teams across Microsoft work every day to help discover challenges so players can find games they love and turn it, and in turn ensure developers find the audiences for their games. End quote. At last week's GDC conference that we discussed, Microsoft introduced a new program called ID at Azure which is aimed at independent developers across all platforms that want to use Microsoft Cloud Gaming in tech in their titles. And additionally, so we're talking about how that's already happening, how they're trying to make that even better. Additionally, Microsoft, going back to the Game Pass thing, has been likely paying between 5 and $10 million to get games like Mar- Marvel's Ga- Guardians of the Galaxy on Xbox Game Pass, according to industry analysts. David Gibson, who's a senior analyst at Microsoft Financial, has estimated that Square Enix paid around 5 to $10 million for its superhero, or was paid around 5 to $10 million for its superhero adventure to join the online on-demand subscription service. Although the figure has never been officially confirmed, Gibson says it's an estimate based on discussions with Square Enix and others, and Gibson has been covering Square Enix for at least the past 15 years, so pretty reliable uh, estimation. Microsoft typically keeps these terms of Game Pass confidential, although lately we've been learning a little bit more about some of these numbers, and so we're able to deduct a little more information from all this stuff here. So, we see $2.5 billion to ID at Xbox. That's an initiative they've been doing for, like, what, seven years or so? And then we see they said hundreds of millions of dollars in Game Pass licensing fees that we're talking about in cases like that, games like Guardians of the Galaxy, Avengers, Outriders, you're welcome, Square Enix, uh, MLB The Show, The Medium, Crossfire X, all these games that are launching into Game Pass day and date like that. That's what we're talking about. That's where that money's going. So Xbox is clearly... Throwing down big bucks. See, this is this is where it gets a little unfair again because this is where I think PlayStation can't compete at least on the level that Xbox can with getting these games in. Now they can. They can definitely get shit like this in. 
in, in their service, and they have. They have Marvel's Avengers also in PlayStation Now, so I mean, they definitely can do this. But Xbox does this shit religiously, and this is like a huge part of their program. And actually, I'm, I'm not really educated enough on Sony's financials to say whether or not Sony can, but this is an easier thing for Xbox to do when you're backed by Xbox or Microsoft money and you're trying to grow a subscription service, no matter the cost, whereas PlayStation has to play a little more nimbly, a little more uh, intelligently about this, because PlayStation is their main source of revenue, so they need PlayStation to be a profitable entity. They can't just have PlayStation be this thing that grows, but doesn't necessarily earn money, whereas Xbox can do that, because Microsoft is too busy making money off of everything else. So this is where that disparity kind of comes into play, and you can see it a little more clearly. Although, I, I do wonder to what extent, because we're seeing PlayStation acquire so many studios right now, I feel like PlayStation has more play money than they've let on. I, I just think maybe it's not so much a matter of can they afford to do this, and more a matter of do they think it's sustainable for them. And I won't open that can of worms again, because we talk about that all the time with Xbox, and it gets people arguing, so I'll leave it at that. With that, guys, that's going to do it for our news this week. Now, real quick, let's run through the important enough news. These are stories important enough to, warrant their, um, to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. We had a handful here. So, first of all, VGC relays Activision Blizzard's Beanox Studios, who works on Call of Duty, is opening a new studio in Montreal, Canada. The Quebec City-based company hopes its second office will help grow its current workforce of 400 game developers, and it's hired more than 150 since 2021, over 20% growth, to support Call of Duty development and additional ambitious projects. So, hopefully, they're getting the opportunity to work on new games. They've mostly just been working on Warzone in recent years. But, of course, back in the day, they did used to make actual games that weren't Call of Duty, like their popular Spider-Man games, Web of Shadows, and whatnot. Shattered Dimensions. Shattered, shattered Dimensions. Next up, VGC reports EA has reportedly greenlit the decision to rebrand its FIFA series into EA Sports Football Club, which we have heard rumored for a while. It's according to Jeff Grubb, who claimed on his premium Giant Bomb show, Grub Snacks, that sources confirmed it to him the long-running sports franchise will indeed be renamed. Now, that should come as no surprise. We know EA's been playing around with that for a while, and have been pretty open about how FIFA needs them more than they need FIFA. And so I welcome the change. I think it's probably smart in the long run, although it will there will be some growing pains that come with that change, but... Next up, Microsoft have dropped plans to remove the ability for Xbox users to share gaming screenshots and videos directly to Twitter. After a lot of bitching and moaning from you, Jez Corden, just kidding, thank you for uh, helping reverse this, uh, an Xbox Insider build rolled out to members earlier in the month removed Twitter sharing entirely from the dashboard. The removal of this feature meant users had to upload clips to their phones and then share them there from a second uh, stage process as opposed to just directly from the console. So thankfully that has been reworked. Windows Central relays that it seems that Among Us uh, may be partnering with one of the most well-known gaming franchises in the world in the near future, with, of course, that game being Halo. Uh, an official Twitter uh, tweet thingy from, from from Among Us showed Master Chief, and they're teasing something, and we'll probably get back to that next week. This is a weird one. VGC reports that publisher Bandai Namco is pulling Fast and Furious Crossroads from sale next month, less than two years after the game released. In an update on the game's official website, a message says all product sales will end on April 29th this year at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. If you bought the game directly or digitally, uh, it will remain in your library and you can re-download it in the future. Any DLC purchased before April 29th will still be available to use after the date. The game's online modes will also remain active. 
So that tells you it's a licensing thing and not a money thing more than anything. Crossroads was developed by Project Cars maker Slightly Mad Studios with Codemasters acquired in 2019 prior to its acquisition by EA last year. So that probably has a lot to do with some sort of licensing issue and things with the acquisition with EA and blah, 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 blah. I'm assuming it's probably music or music. It's it, You know what it is probably? It's probably character likeness licensing, especially because they got like Vin Diesel and like Ludacris in that game. That sucks. I'm going to have to download that before that happens because even though I know people hate that game, it's apparently terrible. I love Fast and Furious. I kind of want to preserve that little bit of history. So I got to go purchase that. Hopefully it's on a a steep sale. Next up, the Xbox Series X and S versions of Apex Legends are rolling out this week along with a new update that includes a number of features including 4K native and HDR. Xbox, next up, Xbox Games Outreach have announced Beyond Xbox Therapeutic Play and Initiative that aims to promote the and benefit the benefits uh, gaming as an aid to help facilitate recovery and connection for children in hospitals. Finally, VGC relays the boss of Amazon Game Studios, Mike Frazzini, has stepped down from the developer division that he helped create. According to a statement from Bloomberg, the executive needs to focus on his family. Quote, our recent success at Amazon with games like New World and Lost Ark are the result of long-term customer-focused visions for games that we've helped establish. We are very grateful for these contributions, and we wish Mike the very best. That was from Amazon, of course, wishing Mike the very best here as well. And guys, that's going to do it for everything this week, except for our wrap-ups. We had two things, guys. New games coming this week to Xbox. There's 12 new ones. Let's run through them because this podcast is going real long. Crusader King 3, out now, gross. Ikai out now xbox series x looks like a horror game kind of looks cool japanese folklore whatever that looks creepy vengeful heart available now anime titty indie shit no thank you agent intercept available now looks pretty fucking cool smart delivery optimized for new concept arcade action game where you drive and transform a spy vehicle through exotic landscapes i i love this i i I need to check this out (laughs) weird west March 30th, cowboy-looking game available on Game Pass. Dark Fantasy Reimagine the Wild West, where lawmen and gunslingers share frontier fantastical creatures, each playing their own rules. Uh, is that what is that? Is that like a top-down shooter? Dude, if that's like a shooter, or like a top-down twin stick, oof. Otherwise, it looks like a top-down strategy, Red Dead-looking game. Whisper Trip out now. New game. It's indie game. 2.5D Cyberpunk. Glam's Incredible Run, Escape from Duka, March 31st, available now. Looks like a knockoff to Celeste. Princess Farmer, looks like an iPhone game with better graphics. Bad, you heard me. Real Heroes, Firefighter HD. No thank you. Fires are terrifying. Flat Kingdom, Papers Cut, Papers Cut Edition. Little PSP game, available now, April 1st. Friday, not now. And then finally, hey, here's the big one. MLB The Show 22 MVP Edition, April 1st, Optimizer Series X, and the regular versions available in Game Pass. Boy, you got it here. Baseball's back, baby. And actually, one more. I forgot. There's one more. Super Cyborg, April 1st. Looks like an NES game. Plays like a non-NES game, maybe. I don't know. Guys, it's going to do for the new games release, but hey, it's almost a new month, which means new games with gold real quick for April. Your games with gold lineup includes another site available for the entire month of April, Hue, available from April 16th to May 15th. I've heard good things about that game. It came out like, what, 2014, 15? God, it's been a while. Outpost Koloki X, available April 1st to 15th. It's a 360 game. I've never heard of it. Finally, on Xbox 360, from April 16th to 30th, MX vs. ATV Alive. I never played that specific entry, but I used to love those MX vs. ATV games. 
So that's going to do it for our episode this week, guys. Normally, I would have a little bit more of like a, a nice little stroll out the podcast, but I am losing my voice because I'm talking too much. Over two hours in, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. If you want to interact with Xbox On, follow me on Twitter at Jesse DeRosa. Like and follow whatever the fucking podcast is on streaming services, podcast services. Leave reviews on iTunes, Spotify. Follow us on YouTube at Xbox On Podcast. Follow me on Twitch and YouTube on my other channel, Lightning Extreme. Really appreciate the support, guys. We're live every Monday on Twitch. We're doing the podcast every Thursday. As always, I appreciate the comments. I appreciate the kind words. I appreciate the follows and the support. It makes all of this worth doing. It can be a pain in the ass sometimes. But then I see you guys comment in, and I see people listening, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I do it because it's fun to have, you know, you guys are like my friends. It's almost like it's almost like I have a friend for a goddamn second in time. Please continue to support the show if you can. If not, I just appreciate you being here, even if this was just your one-and-done time. It was great to have you here. So until next week, gamers, be kind to each other. Wave the loud. Take care of that new kitty. Everyone, stay safe. Empower your dreams. <laughs>